All right, it's the TetraCast. We've got a large crowd here today, so this is going to be a bit different from our normal recording. So I am Brian Vitale. I will be trying to host this, you know, charade of people, and we've got some of the usuals here. We've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. We've got Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. We got James. Hey. Joining us for the first time in a couple months is Kyle Campbell. Hello. And we have Colin Black, who has joined us on our very first edition of the cast this year, who finally has made his way back to us. And I plan to join on the very last as well. And then yep. nothing in between. Wait, should I should I be worried about where this yeah. is going? No, it's fine. Is that a threat? <laughs> no, no. Oh, I mean, it, it can be. So uh, this is a weird uh, framework for a podcast, mainly because not a whole lot has what? happened in the last week. <laughs> Go ahead. That's putting it mildly, like pretty much nothing at all. So, yeah. I mean, that's, it's not, it's not been zero, but I'm looking at our, we have a podcast document that we look through just to help kind of guide the conversation. And it is the shortest that I've seen this year. Uh, so we're going to have to just play this off the cuff. We'll have plenty of talk about the few things that did happen. We'll talk about the new Final Fantasy 14 uh, expansion. That's part of the patch. reason I assume Kyle is here. Oh yeah, patch. <laughs> Yeah, can you tell I don't play this game? <laughs> and yeah. But there's a few other things that we will talk about. And as usual, we'll talk about just other things we've been playing. We've got the Marvel's beta, that the Marvel's Avengers beta that George will want to talk about. I know I'm Cullen so has been like, I know we, Cullen has been like on a Dragon Quest marathon. Uh, uh, Adam's been doing what Adam does. <laughs> so uh, we will, I, I guess, who whoever speaks up first can talk about what they've been playing first. Go. Okay, so I'm just Thank have a question. Uh, I've been yeah. tackling my backlog. I've I've been, I've been playing a Game Boy Advance game localized by Atlas in 2002, something like that. Tactics Ogre: The Knight of Lotus. Now I'm wondering, has anyone else here played that? Nope. I've only played the other one, the one that I yeah, played. But yeah, the, but the only one, like popular Tactics Ogre games, the one I've played. Yeah, so that's the uh, Let Us Clean Together, which we released yep. on PSP about 10 years ago now. Um, but anyways, so with kind of a lull in new releases recently, I've been, you know, just tackling the backlog. And Tactics Ogre The Night of Lotus is a pretty well-received GBA game, I believe. Uh, at least it seemed to be good reviews back in the day. Um, I don't think it was nearly as splashy as Let Us Clean Together. Um, but I hadn't played it and I had some time, so I figured I'd, I'd give it a shot. And I guess I should say I've heard mixed things about it because, um, this was made by Quest after, um, Yasumi Matsuno had left for Square Enix. So he wasn't, as far as I know, involved, or at least not directly involved in the game, like he was in the other, for the other titles in the Ogre Battle series. Um, and that sort of comes through. But otherwise, um, did, did you just like buy this game a long time ago and it's just been like sitting in a drawer forever or what? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have I have kind of have a, a collection of just backlog unplayed older games just sitting around. So who needs Game Pass when you, when you can just look at my shop? Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just stop by Adam's place and just open the cupboards. Adam Pass. <laughs> so so um, to that. anyways, I. It's I, I I would put it like this. Tactics Ogre the Knight of Lotus 
no individual singular component of it uh, matches what Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together has did. Which, that game is one of the best PSP games out there. One of the best strategy games ever, really. Um, so, But I still enjoyed The Night of Lotus quite a bit. So even a game that is just fractionally as good as Let Us Cling Together, turns out that's still pretty good. Uh, it's it's simpler, so it's a strategy RPG. It's class based. Um, it's generally simpler than Let Us Clean Together in terms of the in terms of everything really. In terms of its storyline, in terms of its gameplay structure, there there's there's a small branching point, but it's not like this complex branching tree that Let Us Clean Together has. Um, and it it doesn't have some of the uh, quality of life things that the PSP remake had either. Like for example, the rewinding and whatnot. Um, Does it still have the same like art style and dialogue? Like, cadence? it looks. So here's the thing: it looks just like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. You know, same platform, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance. So that's not too surprising. Um, it's and that already looks similar enough to Tactics Ogre, just not as high a resolution or whatever. Um, it has probably an actually a more flexible class system. The way that Let Us Clean Together did the classes was a little bit uh, um, convoluted and tricky. And I don't remember exactly how it worked, but it was something like when you changed your class, you'd you'd start back to like level one and you have to get back up to speed. So it made changing classes not as flexible because you'd have to like, you know, dedicate some time to, you know, getting yourself back up to where you were in a way. Here you can once you once you unlock the capability to change class, it's a little bit more free in terms of like you can just change your classes for a battle if it's useful and then change back or whatever. So that one component actually might be more uh might be a plus for the for the Game Boy Advance game here. Is um, that is this a Square Enix published game or am I crossing streams? Uh, it's Atlas. Atlas. It was okay. kind of it was back in the day when Atlas was a much smaller Atlas USA was not nearly as prevalent. Um you know, this is before like Persona Three and all that. Uh, I think just came out right around the times that Revelation Persona did. Actually, maybe a little bit after that. So they just did. They they localized a couple of these Game Boy Advance era games in the in the early two thousands. But that actually brings me to my second point. The localization is fine, but it's just it it it's just so plain compared to like the quote Shakespearean style of oh Let Us that's Clean what Together. I that's what I meant in my, with my earlier question like does it read the same I guess not yeah it just it just it it just feels off somehow even though it's like technically competent it just like these people talk so plainly they talk like you know people from the modern day uh, it's like bluntly written yeah and it's just there's I think there's also points where there that seemed like there might have been like being a Game Boy Advance game, you're playing this on a tiny screen. There might have been points where well, how many words they could fit into a text box is limited. So uh, not to like the dramatic degrees that you would find in like Super Nintendo games, but to the point where just people kind of were would speak very bluntly at times. And it just, I don't know, it just, I really love how Let Us Clean Together, the PSP game, just how, like how his dialogue flows. Um, and so here it just kind of, it's fine. It just doesn't really compare. But otherwise, yeah, I really liked it. It was just kind of a 
uh, of game that's been sitting in my backlog for a while. I love strategy RPGs. I had time to play it, and I was just like, let me knock this out. And this it was is the cool. sort of game that I really wish Nintendo had a better answer for, like, virtual console, digital, you know, access to these sorts of... Because if I wanted to play this, I would have to, like, find a, a, a copy of the game, find something that can play GBA games, or just emulate it, which I usually only want to do as a last resort, but you're kind of already at that point for something like this. I I miss... Like, this wasn't Square Enix, but it was Quest, which eventually basically merged with Square Enix. Um, but I, you know, it's been a long time since Tactics Ogre Let Us Clean Together or um, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance 2. It's been like 10 years for both of those. I kind of wish Square Enix would, would do another like Final Fantasy Tactics what, Advance. What, what about, <laughs> uh, what's that What's that tactics game they released for mobile phones? One Cullen played. Oh. oh. <laughs> I heard that I one has that some counts. fun... Uh, monetization sort of stuff yeah fun fun is what well, yeah i was gonna say fun is one word about it um and also like it's overflowing with systems there's way too much stuff like I, tactics is a pretty relatively complicated game and that's just overly complicated in about every single way of like that dumb brain that, that youtube skit where uh pro zd is like a game that thinks more systems is better or whatever and mm -hmm. it just overloaded with stuff that's like no this is at, at a point you've crossed the line but i guess now we've got persona 4 on uh pc so that means we can start you know wishing for the entire atlas back backlog why not right uh, i was gonna ask before we like maybe move on how's the story of uh knight of lotus like so comparatively to cling together it's simpler in a way. Um, it, what it kind of boils down to is um, you are your main character, Alphonse, is like a new knight squire, and you're joining like this lord knight as like his right hand man, if you will, and you're going to investigate the island of Ovis. I believe this works as a prequel to Let Us Clean Together. I don't quite know exactly like how far in advance or whatever um, in the storyline it is, but um i think it's, i think it falls into the trap where nothing super significant can happen in the world because it wasn't really referenced in let us clean together which came out beforehand on ps on playstation um okay, like here's a prequel but we can't have anything that would yeah. shake up what you understood of the world in the in the in the original game right you're gonna do but, a prequel for something like that i wish they would just like set it far back in the past where like they could just do whatever they want really can like limits games like this Knights of the Old Republic style, right? <laughs> so, um, anyways, so you're you eventually learn you're you. I forget the I forget the original reason why you're sent there, but you learn that that was actually a false reason, and you're actually looking for the spear of Longinus. They spell Longinus weirdly. I don't know if it's just a mistranslation or whatever, but it's not the usual spelling of Longinus, um, which is a spear that pierced a falling angel at one point. In the Tactics Ogre universe, there is God, and God is actually a benevolent being in this are you, world. Are you sure this is a, isn't an Evangelion reference? Hmm? <laughs> well, Longinus is... I actually don't... I, I know. Actually, no, you're right. I was making a bet. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, you basically then you find... You, you, you end up being tortured and separated from your army that you go there with, your main character... And then that's when you sort of learn that your army that you were sent there with had other motives. And so you were like, you were, you were kind of, um, you were 
working for the bad guy in a way, although they're not the ultimate bad guy, of course. And then is the ultimate bad guy God? Yeah, I was about to no. say the tactics, <laughs> uh, bad guy is a fallen angel. Something. Yeah. Okay, so might as well just be God. <laughs> but like you get you get saved by by um kind of a a priestess or not it's not a priestess but like a girl who works at the in the church um and from there you basically make a couple of decisions that don't that don't affect the storyline too much but you go to get the spear and then from there you learn about its history and then you fight a fallen angel at the end so it's 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 fine it's just kind of simple in comparison to like let us cling together which has like four different branches that you could go down that are completely different from one another depending on the choices you make here there's just like a couple of slight changes you can make that affect like um for example one of the choices you make probably the most significant plot altering choice is that in the end your former boss can join you like your your knight squire but kind of like turns good if you will and basically joins your team for the for the for righteous purpose this time or the person that saved you at the church like do you kind of choose between them um but otherwise yeah, it was an enjoyable game. It's um, if you like tactical games and haven't played it, uh, if you like tactics, if you like the other tactics ogre game, it's go it's, to Adam's place and steal it from his cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do I get brownie points for saying that I played this on a Game Boy Advance card on a DS Lite? Um, yes, a little bit. In my mind, yeah. you're a true gamer. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, George, to change tact completely, you have done something that we actually started trying to cover on the site uh in the avengers beta which like wasn't really Ooh. marketed like an rpg but it kind of is it plays like a looter shooter only with uh obviously the like the third person f- marvel everything's tell me RPG about the, yeah that's actually uh that's the motto of the website but anyways yeah. tell us what you think about the uh what you played with the marvel beta so far uh long that, that long good huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> What do you think, Long? I, the thing is, I feel, I feel like whenever I start like this, you can tell it's going to be like a really long <laughs> over rant about something not being amazing, because I always do the long sigh and then go, well, here we go. But it's, it's so hard One of these days, uh, you'll cover something and you'll just come out of the gate like ex- ex- incredibly enthusiastic about it. It'll happen someday. I hope. <laughs> It's just so generic. Like, it's it's exactly what you'd expect it to be, but then also somehow worse. Uh, <laughs> I, I was so I was so ready when I said, "Okay, let's cover this. Let's talk about it on the podcast. Cover it on the site," which I'm I'm still gonna do. Uh, I was so like, "Yeah, like I'm a Marvel fan. That'll get me through." Like people like Destiny, and I personally didn't find that like I thought that was sort of generic in its gameplay. Like I didn't really catch that, so I was like, "Oh, maybe." Maybe I'll catch the Avengers bug. Like maybe that'll hit me. And then <laughs> I played it, and it hasn't really done much for me. Um, it just seems endless. I feel like I feel like covering it is just going to be endless now. You're in for the long haul. I am in for the long haul. Yeah. Um, I just... Now I have a question for you. So um, I actually played this game at PAX, uh, and. I was so unenthused by it that I didn't even do a preview piece. I'm like, this is the most fucking vapid, like, market checkbox game ever. And and one thing that really bothered me a lot 
is like, like I know it's a video game thing, but like, okay, so you're playing as Thor, right? So like, when Thor is wielding Mjolnir, you expect him to just like, it's just like a freight train when he when he throws that thing down. And something that really bothered me is like, like guys in SWAT gear and like Thor's just yeah. hitting them with it with his hammer, and they're just like, oh, like is that still in the game? Yeah, it, it's even worse when you're playing as the Hulk, and it's like this. This little like riot bot is somehow <laughs> taking a thunderclap just because you're not like leveled enough, I guess. Oh. Uh, let, let me just start with the my biggest problem with it so far um, is the gear. Like I'm I'm not the only person to talk about this, but basically in other similar games, it's you you get gear and it's like oh awesome I have like a I have a cool new shirt so you know I'll, I'll give Iron Man like a well you wouldn't give Iron Man a shirt but okay you give <laughs> Iron Man a, a cool helmet or whatever and like. That somehow makes the quest worth it, right? So, oh, this shiny armor shows that I did. There's that a really cosmetic cool. aspect to it, yeah. Yeah, so, some people really get into that. I will admit that that sort of thing does get me as well. The gear in Avengers doesn't work like that at all. It, you, you have all the gear, so it's like, oh, um, like powerful Unibeam blaster or whatever, um, and it'll affect your stats, but it won't affect your appearance at all. You have to have like a separate cosmetic thing which is just skins and they're like one and done and the skins are really really cool like they're they're references to some of the comics they're some of them are original and like that's really that's really awesome that sort of stuff i love but like if you're gonna have that then don't have like this meaningless gear that just clutters the screen like you're constantly picking up crap that you just have like no use for and it doesn't even look cool because it doesn't look like anything like it's just the gear is just stats right like that's it all it's it is. literally just stats and it it just doesn't suit the game at all. Like I, in one of the missions, you're fighting these frost robot things, and the game's like, "Oh, equip better like frost related gear to help you." And I I just didn't. I was just like, I, I just can't be bothered. And and there's a button that to show how meaningless this is. There's a button that if you hold L two, it'll equip best gear for you. And you just you never have to think about it. You just hold that button, boom, you're done. And like I that's I'm, 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 I'm used to seeing that sort of option like in the menu where you just like press optimize, optimize attack, optimize defense or whatever. They literally have it where you can just do it like in On the so fly. you can just press that button like in the middle of a level or a mission, however the game's designed, and just do it as soon as you pick stuff up. Yeah, you can, and it's it's yeah. just it feels. Go ahead. I think he cut out. Oh my god, Disney got to him. <laughs> <laughs> We we heard you were talking shit. <laughs> oh, I'll put a note here to splice this. <laughs> I hate the laptop. I swear to God. <laughs> Where was I? You, we just, you just talked about the uh, the <laughs> you just talked about the uh, auto optimize shoulder button. Well, I was, I was moving on, so I'd start here. Okay, go. It, it's a shame because there's there are a lot of times where actually. Like there is good to talk about, uh, and there is stuff that makes me excited for it to release. Uh, so the combat is sort of mindless, but it's quite crunchy and fun. Like I, I was sat there and I almost felt like I was in a trance because I was just I was just pressing buttons and it just felt good. the The sound design made it like look and sound good, so it was just sort of enough for me. Uh, I feel like the characters are all actually pretty unique. Like when I was playing as the Hulk, I didn't feel like I was just playing as like. For, for us that haven't been um, following this, who are the playable characters in the beta, and then who are the playable characters in the full game? So you have Iron Man, uh, Kamala Khan, 
Black Widow, and Hulk, oh, I'm missing one. Hulk, yeah. Uh, you have those four in the beta, and then in the full game, they add uh, Thor and uh, Captain America. And then Spider-Man, controversially, is coming later, and then Hawkeye, presumably later than that. And that, that's a pretty good lineup. Like, I, I, I can't complain about that. I will say that Spider-Man's exclusivity is disgusting, but, <laughs> but you know, that, that's, that's a different topic. We talked about um, like Hawkeye being the first DLC character. Like, okay, that's a choice. Yeah, like we we did talk about that, about how generic he looks. It's it's just it's just such a shame because Crystal Dynamics have made some really cool games, and I really wanted this to be as good as Marvel Spider Man, which was probably a pretty big ask ask really because that was incredible. Uh, but this just sort of feels like. It's gonna just be maybe good. The story mode could potentially save it. The the characters and the voice acting is actually really good so far. Uh, so the two or three story missions you get to do in the beta are all really cool. And then it's like, okay, you've done you've done some like the interesting stuff. So now just run around this like really boring aim base and just bash stuff, and <laughs> that's that. And it scares me that that's probably what the whole game is gonna end up being like. It's such a shame. It's like, I really wanted to play it and be like, hey, everyone says it's boring, but I love it. And now I'm just sort of like, everyone said it was boring, and they're sort of right. Would you say that the big problem is just the fact that it's trying to be this, like, looter thing? Like, it just like, there's gear for no reason? Yeah, yeah. That I would say that's personally my biggest problem with it. I, I just feel like... Well, it's a, it's a double-edged coin, uh, double-edged coin, <laughs> double-edged sword. Because if it wasn't like that, we probably wouldn't have any reason to talk about it. I'd probably just maybe bring it up in passing and say, "Oh, that, that Avengers game looks good," but I feel like it would be so much better if it was just be a, a story-focused game. It would have none of this like identity crisis it seems to be having. It's easy to kind of be cynical, or like the way Kyle described it, it's just kind of like this mark the checkboxes, like. Well, what are what are the other games that people are logging into repeatedly? What do they have? We gotta have it in some form. Yeah, I mean, I mean if we're lucky, there'll be like a Realm Reborn version in like a year or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that is all jokes aside. I feel like there is definitely room for this to eventually be a really good game. I feel like we, we've seen it before. We've seen games come out, No Man's Sky, and they're not great. They're not what people want, but like the mechanics are just enough that it gets some people and then they come back and it's updated and it's amazing i don't think i still it, think this be... this game is gonna sell like gangbusters it's like this is such an easy game to put like on a front end cap at the front of best buy or game stuff or whatever and then yeah. like it's literally the biggest license in the world yeah. right well in to to be less cynical about it i'd say like the more that it sells the more reason they have to put more money into it and well, I don't think money's even the problem. <laughs> now, now I think about it, it's definitely more not the talent into it. Money. Put yeah. more, put more time. Oh God, that's not good either. It's been in development for so long. Okay, it. I just feel like if it if it hits hard enough and enough more people work. have it, then they're gonna put more work into it, and eventually we'll see it be really good because the base mechanics, the combat, the movement, they're all good enough. They they are all satisfying. And they can be fun, and I presume that if you're playing it with friends, it could be like a, a good night in. Uh, most games are fun with friends anyway, but I feel like this this could do the Destiny thing 
of just like just sinking into missions, just constantly playing it. But I don't know how much fun it's going to be besides that. I was going to say, it seems like I, I'm going to assume this is going to be an exact destiny situation where when it comes out, it's going to sell like crazy and then sales are going to drop off a bit while everyone realizes there's a lot to work on. So then during that time where sales are low, they're going to keep working on it. And so sales are going to kind of go up and down for a while. As someone who works at GameStop, I've seen all like the trends for the stuff like Destiny 2 crazy launch. Everyone was hype people were not too satisfied with it because it wasn't like perfect and then it's gonna just go back and forth until they get their niche i guess yeah i i that would not surprise me um sounds about right personally i hadn't really been thinking about it but i and until you've just said that brian i didn't really think of how well it's gonna sell like uh oh my god no 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 i mean (laughs) i mean when brian said about it selling i hadn't thought of the sales figures like i didn't think of it as an easy mark it's um, just such an easy game to, uh, like, a market. soccer mom buy for their fourteen-year-old, uh, or fourteen-year-old might be going to the store themselves for the younger kids, or, or like a cousin buying for, like for their a non-gamer getting it for their gamer friends or something like that. It just seems like it just it could easily spread like wildfire, <laughs> like COVID. Brian. <laughs> what? Brian. Brian. Brian's like. The, the parent that like goes and picks up the game and then like a bottle of wine and like here you go you damn kid <laughs> <laughs> um honestly from what i've seen it's a lot of adults who are also super into it like who are getting really excited for it because like that's the thing it is like the most marketable game you could possibly make this is going to make square enix a lot of money this is going to make disney a lot of money like everyone involved is going to like this is going to sell like crazy how it'll review i don't really know but it's gonna sell i'm, I'm expecting like i'm seven, expecting like eight, eight yeah seven or eight yeah like well, this is the thing if they the story is really interesting like the characters are really cool and that is what got me into it in the first place when they showed off that first story trailer and we didn't know what it really was it was like yeah this like I, i'm into this i'm totally into this if it has a few co-op missions as a games as a service sort of thing i'm fine with that as long as the story's good I kind of have a dumb question. I'm not really into the MCU, but Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, this is, she's not really in the MCU, right? This is No, not yet. This is, I know this game is not MCU, but like this is her, like kind of her first appearance in the modern Marvel era. Um, And and she's like the main character in a way, right? Like the kind of the story revolves around like her in a way. Is that right? She and I, I've heard good things about her, like people like her and her voice and her character and all that. She's really enthusiastic and she does like she carries the scenes that she's in, I think. Uh, and it, I find it interesting as well that she's the only one who hasn't been in the MCU and she has the most interesting design in like her costume. I feel like the problem that the game has, I, I did touch on this a bit in my beta impressions, is that it's trying so hard to do the MCU stuff that it doesn't really have its own identity. Like, the story that it's trying to tell is far from the MCU. Like, uh, I, I can't really think of a story off the top of my head where the Avengers have disbanded in this way. I know there are loads of them, but off the top of my head, I can't think of one. I um, think th- what this feels like to me is, like, this is the 2020 version of the like the PlayStation 2 licensed game where a movie would come out and it would invariably have a game with it. Like, all those Spider-Man games in, that, like in, the, in the early odds or things like that, or... Uh, 
uh, like the Wolverine game that came out alongside the movie. Yeah. Like this isn't this isn't tethered to the movies specifically, but it feels like that that's the space it's trying to occupy. Where it's like you know Marvel, right? You've seen all these movies. Here's the movie game, even though it's not really directly related. Well, well the Spider Man game was the same, right? It was just it was just Marvel Spider Man had nothing to do with MCU Spider Man. It was just kind of you know it's still Spider Man needs to exist around movie time. But the thing when I think when I think of a movie game, and I, I used to play them all the time. I used to love them. I was, I was a dumb kid, but it. I don't think quality and money. Uh, and Avengers, like I've said before, has so much money put into it. Like this, it looks really, really good almost all the time. Uh, so when I think of a movie game, I think of just like cheap. Yeah, just knock it out. We don't. Yeah, care. this this that's what I meant. Like this is just the 2020 version of it. Where now it's yeah, got to be like, like this. They've ironed all that out. I mean, look at recently the new, Fast and the, the new Fast and the Furious game. That looks amazing. Oh my god! Yeah, it's really breaking new ground there. Uh, <laughs> that's more like the the that's the old style of the movie game. Yeah, jeez, I, I'm still surprised that that game closed out. Was what was it? The Game Awards? Oh god! Like, what oh, a yeah. weird platform for that game. And then it just kind of like came and went without any fanfare. I didn't if even you've feel played, anything if, during that because the game awards was so bad, with the exception of like No More Heroes. I just was just I felt nothing. If you've like, played okay. uh Fast and Furious game and you think really highly of it, please comment on this post and let us know what you think. <laughs> We're not gonna read it. I'll read it. Okay. Um, so we do have a written impressions piece from George on the website for that uh Marvel beta. If you still want to hear about how lukewarm he is. <laughs> on having played uh, I guess we'll go over to uh, Colin next who if I know I've been following you on Twitter when you were posting about basically it seems like every Dragon Quest game under the sun so okay. so this is how this is gonna work I don't know because when I get talking about Dragon Quest I don't shut up just at some point is this tell gonna be me to shut up <laughs> okay no just like just tell me okay. to shut up like if we need to move on, if I'm taking too long, just tell me to shut up. Because here's the thing. During quarantine, my biggest micro-obsession has been Dragon Quest. I uh, I started by trying to finish Eleven, and I think Eleven is one of the greatest RPGs ever made. It's a gosh darn masterpiece. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but it's it's heckin' good. It's a heckin' great <laughs> time. Fun for the whole gosh darn family. <laughs> I You can swear, I, just... Okay, it's goddamn amazing. I have been, and then once I finished Eleven, I fell off the deep end. I've been running around to Monpa game stores, going on eBay, Amazon, all this stuff, and just buying whatever I can get my hands on. Like literally, before this podcast started, I went to my work, um, and grabbed our copy of Dragon Quest Monsters Two, like just because I needed that. I needed that more that serotonin, and that's what Dragon Quest is. It's pure serotonin injected right into your veins um a lot of people aren't really i mean i guess i'm explaining dragon quest i apologize if people already you know know what dragon quest is but a lot of people a lot of western fan people aren't like they they brush it off like oh it's this dumb fantasy game series whatever it's way too it looks like dragon ball yeah it looks like dragon ball but it's a boring rpg it's like every dragon quest game at least after two has this like vibe of it it's like okay this is a very traditional fantasy game but like on the surface but once you really get into to a dragon quest game like you really get into it 
then you start to see how much Yuji Hori likes to subvert expectations, but not in like, you know, lazy ways or whatever. Not like the Dragon Quest movie, which is one of the worst goddamn things I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if anyone here has seen your story. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, but I know the uh, twist. It's so. worse yeah, than same. you think. It's it, because it's not about the twist. That's the problem. It's about the execution of the twist and the execution of how it adapts Dragon Quest V as a whole. It's just not good. It's very boring. And the pacing is a mess. So it's, in other words, uh, the movie is Stung Rumpa V3, but not good. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, so uh, Yuji Hori, I think he has like a certain storytelling style that he's, I think extremely good at it's he like how do i put this it's it's hard to it's hard to pin this Vignettes. down in words but it is that's, that's actually yeah. one a part of it it's like he tells this he, he can kind of bring to life a world a storyline and it doesn't often require like like so much in your face exposition that no. so many games and movies have like they kind of just have to have a character literally state what the story is out loud with words um to your face um and here it's like more like dispersed over the various NPCs you go to, the worlds or the, the the cities you go to and building the world. And it's a little bit more of like a diffuse storytelling. Um, and I think Dragon Quest Seven is probably the best example of that style. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. played that one. I have um, now played every game in the series, at yeah. least like the, the little bit of the openings of all of them. And I'm like basically juggling all Dragon Quest games at once. It's oh, like, man. I, I just like it's so fun to like because I hyper focused on 11 because I think 11 is just mm, it's so good at what it does. And then, just, then I went back just for to some eight. context, Colin, just so you know, uh, yeah. our website has given Dragon Quest 11 two 10 out of 10s. So, oh, I, in, in general, we're uh, we're in agreement. And you know what? If we do cover 11s on like modern consoles, let's give it I'm another sure one. Why not? I'm sure if. <laughs> Look, hey, give that to me. That'll get a 10 out of 10. That's all I'm saying. No, I, I joke. But like, goddamn, I love Dragon Quest Eleven. Dragon Quest Eleven is now my, one of my top five games of all time. It's crazy how, like, Dragon Quest Eleven's quality is so weird because it's one of those games where at numerous points you're like, okay, this game is amazing. It can't get better than this. With most RPGs, you can look at, like, awesome moments or whatever and be like, okay, so this is the peak, right? But Dragon Quest Eleven, starting around Act Two, the peak keeps rising and it keeps getting better, and mm. then it keeps raising the stakes and more stuff. Like it just keeps continuing to be better. And Act Three of Dragon Quest Eleven, I know some people don't like it, and like on paper, Act Three should not work. I'm not going to go into spoilers, but like, it is crazy how that game got me to spend 50 hours in a world I have already spent like again another 50 hours in. Just running around, visiting places I have already done and grinding and fighting monsters. And I was never for a second bored or wishing I was playing something else. The, the, game thing, just... about, the thing about Act 3, without getting into the spoilers, but like at a high level, um, it seems very thoughtful in terms of like what, in terms of storyline, what Yuji Hori was trying to like say with it. And in a way, I can understand why it is off-putting to some people, like what it's trying to do. But... I think he, like it's there, there's a level of thoughtfulness in terms of like where the story goes from there, and also how it like incorporates into the gameplay in terms of what you, the player, are actually doing in that act. And it's, that's, it's that's something story. that a lot of games don't don't do. I feel like it, no. it, it, it literally makes me think about 
there, there's this scene that comes into play about like righting the wrongs and and it's not so clearly black and white the without spoiling again the main character has to make like a decision in act three that is like one of the hardest possible decisions you could feasibly make it an make. rpg yeah it's like i would not want to make that decision like i would like freeze and lock up like i can't do this uh but it's 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 something it's just like I said, it's part of like that voice that Yuji Horii has that I don't think a lot of other writers quite have. And to give credit where credit's due, I think a lot of the ideas in Eleven are also because um, like Yuji Horii definitely like help, like helped majorly because he always you know oversees mainline Dragon Quest games. But the new director they got for it, Takashi Uchikawa, is um, he's like he's been working on the series in smaller bits back and forth as it's been going on and he's i think he's like a big part and like why the 11 even like in terms of story is as good as it is and honestly like takeshi uchikawa is like he he killed it with his first mainline game i hope they keep him on as like director for each like subsequent mainline title it's so crazy but like just just dragon quest like dragon quest 11 is a story that only works in the format of an rpg and if you've beat it, you know what I mean, especially Act 3, where Act 3 is just a big open look at RPG storytelling. And I love games like that. I love RPGs that use the medium they're like they're, you know, they're told in to make the story even better. And like once I beat it, I just like sat there in bed just like, oh, my God, am I ever going to play a game that makes me feel like this for like another couple years? Like. This is uh, me so, like, I, cool. so the only Dragon the Quest game I've played, feeling. yeah, the only Dragon Quest game I've played is Eleven, and I loved it. But I just I haven't had the inclination or the time, or honestly, like the hardware needed to go back and play other games in the series. But I, I do hope that it kind of. I know it didn't sell amazingly, and I don't want to fixate too much on game sales because in some contexts it doesn't really matter that much. But I do think that it will be a shot in the arm for the series especially once it's also like on xbox as well like so it's basically it's not it's no longer this ds or or it's no longer this platform exclusive game that only shows up in limited spaces like i if dragon quest 12 can be this you know a similarly scoped game that now has you know some subset of new people like me brought on board and has a simultaneous or near simultaneous launch on multiple platforms like I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Is basically what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, me too. Like I again, like I've I've been going back. Hopefully, because like there's so many Dragon Quest games, and I'm hoping by the time twelve comes out, I finished at least half of them, because I just again something about Yuji Horii. And I was talking uh, recently since I've been getting into this. I met a new um like a new mutual who's like super big on uh, like he's like a Dragon Quest YouTuber, but he does a lot of other stuff too. And he he was telling me um he's like. He says, like, Yuji Hori will stop working when he dies. That man has never stopped. There are so many Dragon Quest games that come out, and he has helped in every single one of them. He works on every single spinoff. This man loves creating stuff, and you can, like, you look at a game like Eleven, which, when you reach, a po- like, 11 mainline games and a billion other spinoffs, most creators would just be done by now or would rehash the same story you've heard you've played a billion times but it's somehow 11 manages to stand out amongst every other game in a series where no game is alike 
if you've crazy. played Dragon Quest XI and you don't think highly of it, please leave it in a comment and we won't read it. I, I will. Yep, <laughs> I will actually actually not read that one. Did, no, isn't there like a Dragon Quest spinoff coming out next year? That die, I think. Yeah, die. That's the one. That yeah, was up my alley. I actually like. It's... I I remember talking about that on the podcast when it was announced. I thought it was really neat. I thought that trailer looked really cool. But then I saw like some other responses to it, and people were a lot more down on it. Oh, it looks like a mobile game or whatever. I'm like, well, maybe it is, but I don't know. I didn't see anything there that seemed like it was compromised. It just seemed really neat to me, and I guess I'm excited for that. And I think one of the, the better parts is I'm pretty sure it has a new composer, which is pretty great. Yeah, that's always something yeah. to be proud about. So. Uh, George, you should play a Dragon Quest game. They're they're very good. I keep meaning to get into eleven. I I have it. I have it on my shelf, and it's there, and it's just like the biggest one of my backlog. It terrifies me. Do you have um? Do you have S or the original? The original. Oh, although just, just wait I've for S. Yeah, I'm gonna wait for S. I think that that'll be the kick up the ass play. I think. I think one of the greatest things about Dragon Quest, though, especially Eleven, is because Eleven was made. Yuji Horii has a perfect understanding about the people who love Dragon Quest in Japan, and because of that, he's able to re make really good games based around that. Like a lot of Dragon Quest fans in Japan are the same people who played the older games when they were kids. So you have like elderly people, you have like you know people like normal like uh, middle aged people with like kids and families. You have kids who like this, teenagers who likes it. Everybody likes Dragon Quest. So because of that. They make games that work for everybody. They make games that anybody could pick up and play. And the vignettes in Dragon Quest XI are really are like really well, I guess, hidden because that's a game where all of the arcs take like 30 minutes to an hour to kind of start and wrap up. There's like overarching stuff and there's very like, you know, stuff here and there. But like they make it so it is the perfect game to pick up and play. If like for me, for example, I've been playing S since launch. Um, I picked it up and I would drop it because I have very stuff going on. And I, you know, uh, pick it up and play. And I never felt like I was like, oh, what am I doing? I forget what I'm doing. Like, I don't know, like, what's happening. Because the game is very intelligently designed and framed in a way where, oh, yeah, whenever you boot it up, it gives you, like, a very well-written um, well synopsis of what was happening when you picked it up. You can instantly know where to go because there's, like, you know, markers on the map that but don't, like... Uh, act like you're an idiot which um and like older games kind of struggle with that a little bit where like you'll pop at eight and you'll like after uh months of not playing like where am i going and you're like people will just tell you it's like oh we need to do the thing right it's like what thing and it's like all right anyway yeah. moving on um but eight's really good too i like eight because eight is like everything about eight is a lot of things that 11 does but it's like in the opposite direction of like 11 supposed to be this a really approachable game that'll like it's very open but it'll always tell you where you need to go and eight is like all right you got a boat now are you need to go to the west part of the world we don't care what you do to get there just do it whatever we're wiping our hands clean with you have just go on adventures we don't care i actually really enjoy in, in any type of game any genre game where it basically gives you a goal and says, "All right, now go have fun. Go go do the thing we told you to do. Like, you don't have a. We're not. We're not going to give you a waypoint, or or maybe we might give you a waypoint at the end. We're not going to give you the pathway. We're not going to give you the road that you're supposed to be on. Just get there. Just do the thing." All right, um, Brian. I I hate yeah. to tell you this. You're a Dragon Quest fan. You would love the old games so much. Then that's all the games are. Like, 
it is like i think um yeah pretty much all of them uh i'm trying to think of any game that doesn't do this i think four four and five start a bit more linear but they end up opening up like crazy all dragon quest games are at a certain point you get a boat and then the then the game say do whatever you want like this is a vague goal you need to just go figure it out and that's what I think is so cool about them because you'll you naturally because again Yuji Horii is very good at designing games you naturally just go find what you need to do by just exploring by talking to people it's it's so crazy how like I've been sleeping on these games for so many years and like all of them are good it's cr- it's so weird I will say first off a little hot take um I've, I've played through Dragon Quest 1 and 2 earlier this year. I actually think I enjoyed 2 more than 1, but with a caveat. What you're talking about, how the games kind of... They they sort of direct you towards what you need to do, but they let you explore on your own. Dragon Quest 2 does that, but it doesn't give you nearly enough direction for some things. No, and I, I, of, it's definitely the extreme. It's there's like, some very obtuse things that the game wants you to find. And it's like, I think the most obvious example is how, like, there's this one person that tells you, oh, can you get, like, my ship crashed around here and there was this cargo. And it's like, you want that cargo and you basically just have to go the to the general area where that ship was supposed to crash and check every single tile in that ocean to find the thing that you want and it is annoying uh, yeah i guess to qu- uh clarify what i meant like like even like one and two i can like have fun at but those are definitely like the hardest ones to get into i think three is probably where dragon quest really got its identity and you know it's one of people's favorites for a reason because three. I still, I still, good. I still think three is like still one of my top three in the series. Like no, it that's came fair. out, it came out like when I was born, and it's still really good. My, I, I don't like doing the, like the top three simply because my my three and four uh, slot change. But my top four is, um, I think it goes like eleven, eight. And then um, four and five kind of switch. Dragon Quest Four is this really underrated game that I feel like a lot of people like don't appreciate enough for good reason because the DS version cut out all of the characterization and the localization, so it's pretty much the only way you can play that in its best form is on phone. Um, but four is very well designed too. Like four kind of takes everything that worked about one, two, and three, and just like adds a bit more story to it, adds a bit more like stuff to do um as it's i think it's better designed i think the cast is one of the best in the series it's just oh and then five everybody loves five a lot of people consider five one of the best ones and five was my first dragon quest game before i got hardcore into the series like i just had a copy of five that my girlfriend got me for a graduation at college which was like six years ago which makes and, me and you put old. it off um i well <laughs> college like yeah and it's I didn't, I, I really loved what I played, but like at the time I was like, Dragon Quest is really neat, but like, oh, these games are so traditional and I can't stand how like just so old fashioned they are. And now that I go back to them, I'm like, oh, they're traditional, but they're there for like, it's tr- traditional for a reason. And they always have like new game mechanics that like modern, like they bring modern elements in and they innovate like crazy and like it uses it the fact that it's a traditional RPG to its advantage and it makes it more approachable for pretty much anyone. Like 
anyone can play a Dragon Quest game. It's probably the most approachable RPG series out there. I'd say in some ways more so than Pokemon, because Pokemon is to the point where the games are so easy that they're not fun for everybody to play. And I'm it's, sure James would agree with me on that. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this podcast going into it to have such a cool <laughs> talk about Dragon Quest, just because we've all had different experiences with the uh, the games. Like some of us have played none of them. Some of us have played only one or two. And there's Adam who's played like all of them. All of You know what game <laughs> I want to see more of, but I think, so I have played all of the mainline ones. Um, they, like two years ago now, they teased a new Dragon Quest Monsters game with Eric and his sister. I want to see that too. And then like, uh, there's rumors that it's like, uh, it's had trouble development, which, you know, it hasn't shown up since then. So that's not hard to believe. Um, it's like, I, I should maybe just try some of the other Dragon Quest Monsters games. It's first. like a self-substantiating cool. rumor. I um, right. I haven't played i mean now i'm set to own all of them because i i I got one for my birthday Uh, i just picked up two and i'm importing a copy of three and then i i got like a slime ds that i hacked to put like uh fan translations on so i like with my actual physical copy of three i'm gonna like uh, hack that but like three i mean uh, dragon quest monsters one and two are crazy because like you look at pokemon in the ds era and they're like these sprite games that look decent enough whatever and then you look at dragon quest monsters which has just about as much content if not more than a pokemon game but they're made in all 3d and there's like smt style like like monster fusion 2 and it's so cool and unique and it's like it's oh they wanted to make a pokemon game oh they made a better pokemon game than any pokemon game pokemon like the pokemon team made in the ds era if not ever it's so weird and crazy monsters Uh, Hmm? yeah just one on a tangent um another dragon quest spinoff that i think people really should check out is the rocket slime series Oh, yeah, and you, uh, you covered that uh, for the, the site. Yeah, well, I covered the uh, fan translation. Like, I interviewed some of the folks that worked on it. Uh, apparently, like, for all intents and purposes, the uh, project was really, really intense because of the way that text strings were stored in the uh, game's files. As in, they weren't stored in the files, they were in the executable. Fun. Oof. But um, uh, it's really good. And it's such a shame that the 3DS... Well, I guess it's not really a big deal now since every 3DS you can just hack, but um yeah definitely play rocket slime uh ds and 3ds the game boy advance version isn't quite as good because i feel like the main reason why people like the rocket slime games are because of the tank and ship battles and and the original doesn't have those it's just a very very simple not really even a platformer just like a i guess i don't even know what to call it like a puzzle adventure sort of game something like that i don't I know to get into those um i still haven't really played excuse me rocket slime uh, i'm like again now now that i'm going hardcore i'm going to eventually like again I, I bought the metal slime ds for myself as like a treat treat yourself birthday present i'm i'm set to buying every single copy of dragon quest 11 that exists like, yeah. uh, my, i have a coming in the mail soon uh my dad uh got me the uh because in Japan, they have like this uh limited edition when the original games for 11 came out which are these like it's like um it's two two book cases like two like and they hold the games like two books and if you've seen you know if you've beat dragon quest 11 and you've seen the last like post credits cutscene, it's those books just in the limited edition which is crazy cool 
Uh, I'm going to buy, like, I'm probably even going to buy, like, a, a Xbox One copy of Dragon Quest XI-S. Despite the fact that I do not own an Xbox One, I just want to see it on hey. the Xbox yeah, it's one of those on things where it's just like notable just for the platform that it's on. Like, yeah, this Dragon Quest like, on Xbox. <laughs> exactly. Like again, I have never bought an Xbox game in like ten years. I I'm not buying an Xbox One. I'm not buying a Series X. So this game will not have any use for me. But I want it on my shelf, like just because. So and, Cullen, yeah. uh, you since you like started the section by saying, "Tell me when we need to move on." I'm going to go ahead right. and invoke that right. Okay. Uh, that is though. Fair. I am though. I am. Uh, Maybe once 11s comes out for the PC and the Xbox and PS4, maybe we'll have a, a like a Dragon Quest focused cast if you would be interested. I would absolutely so, be interested. We, I, I mean, would that make a good uh, classic mode? Do you think? Yeah, it could. It would, uh, or casual mode. Yeah, we could do like a, no, a video casual, chat. It's classic on here. I was. Oof. That's on me. Uh, yeah, I would. We love could do something that. with it. I, I would love. I would. I never not like talking about Dragon Quest. It, I'm. I'm. I'm sure everyone who follows me on Twitter is very happy that I took a Twitter break just so they don't have to hear me talk about Dragon Quest anymore. Because that's literally been all I've did, like all I've been doing for the month. No of comment. Like, I'm fair enough. <laughs> uh, it's okay. You're. You're free. You're safe. I. I. You will not. Well, I mean, you're on a podcast with me talking about Dragon Quest. But if you follow Other me on that. Twitter, freedom. So the last game that uh, people on this cast have played is the new, not expansion, patch for Final Fantasy XIV. So I am not familiar with this game. I'm going to hand this off to Kyle slash James to talk about this release because I've heard basically nothing but praise for it. But yeah, let's 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 start no out like spoilers. this for for people like me who are aware of the game but not up to date on it. This is basically the closing story segment for Shadowbringers. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I have a, a bit to talk about what, about 14 as well, but it's like from a perspective of someone who's just now starting to play it, but I'll let the, the people who know what they're talking about say first. Yeah. Uh, if we want people to know what they're talking about, obviously I played 14, but I'm going to hand it off to Kyle, uh, IGN's Shadowbringers reviewer, to uh, lead the discussion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, if you see the promotional materials, that was me. What a, what a honor. Anyways, <laughs> um, but um, the um, so the thing about about Final Fantasy XIV is I've always said um, it 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 is very much an MMORPG. It has everything that the that that uh, genre of RPG is like. You know known for like you're out you're in four person dungeons there's raids there's hardcore end game stuff you can play it just like you would any other mmorpg but probably the big discernible difference um well maybe not the big discernible difference um but it has a very like involved storyline and a really rich world that um it's just like a single lit player final fantasy so re other than like content that requires you to group with people you can play it basically like a, a final fan like a, the other final fantasy games essentially well except 11 but uh i always say that 14 is told its narrative is told in the same style as like a tv show whereas if i were to say if i were to make the comparison uh, final fantasy 10 would be like a novel um but 14 is like there's seasons so it's like there's a realm reborn 
and then there's the post realm reward then to heaven's ward that's a really short period but heaven's ward's its own season then post heaven's ward's its own season etc cetera, etc cetera. so this is the this is probably like this this is the second half of shadowbringers and it it officially that story arc came to a close again no spoilers um but uh, it was yeah it was pretty stellar and it was a huge patch because this patch was supposed to come out um in, in may June. it was very late it was actually very late may um ah. and then or maybe maybe it was june anyways around that point and they delayed it just because of covid um and it was a beefy beefy patch like you had uh, first of all, new MSQ. So whenever there's a big update like this, there's not always the same content. Sometimes there's uh, new raids. Sometimes there's new trials. Sometimes there's new dungeons. Sometimes there's new story content. Uh, this time around, there was a, basically a little bit of everything. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it was pretty remarkable. Um, I loved. Uh, I re- I loved every bit of it. The the new the storyline stuff was really satisfying. Other than a few things that I obviously can't talk about um or a couple things i have a kind of a vague generic question i can't spoil things so i haven't played it but i've heard things about final fantasy 14 how it like ties the storylines from over the entire game or series or seasons like you put it like Mm -hmm. some of these storylines or threads kind of are tying together things that have happened a while ago into like current events now in the yep. new in the latest patch i feel like when you when you think about like popular tv shows there's sometimes there's like a point at some point where it sort of just like like changes gears and jumps the shark or whatever and kind of doesn't know what it wants to do going forward and like if it sometimes like seasons 10 11 of a show don't feel anything like seasons yeah. 2 and 3 but it's from, from what i gather from a distance just you know i haven't played this game it feels like shadowbringers and final fantasy 14 as a whole sort of avoids that and kind of is actually building on itself properly rather than just like some runaway train going in some direction it doesn't doesn't know yeah. is that yeah. Yeah. right okay definitely it um i always say like uh, something that happens in a lot of mmorpgs is um when a new expansion comes out um you know that it, that entices new people to come in and so like world of warcraft for example they'll say like oh new expansions coming out you automatically get a level boost to whatever the hell the, the max level is in in world of warcraft now but like they they trivialize like the older content like they just say like nope not relevant anymore uh you don't need to do it if you don't want to but like shadow but final fantasy 14 always is building on itself like like one of the key very well not one of but one of the one of the most important or the most important character of shadowbringers arguably is a is someone that appeared a long long time ago in final fantasy 14 in a much reduced role yeah um, let me put it this way so to be as vague as possible um you guys know about how like and I know not everyone's going to get this, but Colin will. You know how, like, when there's, like, a long-running, like, anime series that has, like, this movie, and it's, like, it, the movie's plot is intentionally designed so that any characters that are introduced in it kind of go away after the movie's over, and it doesn't have any, in, like, consequential actions for the rest of the series? Also, yeah, I get that. Yeah, like, there, why I hate anime movies. So there's a bit of content in the base game that has a story that feels like that when you're doing it in Realm Reborn, but instead of just 
never revisiting it and like ignoring it, Shadowbringers directly follows up on that. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it is that they changed it so um, there was it's a now writing, like main scenario man, now. Yeah, you have to do it. Um, but for me, as someone who had played the game forever, and at the time, God, even though I was under like so when I reviewed it for IGN, it was under like a severe crunch. Like I, I had to review it in like two weeks, um, and uh, including capturing video. And um, I would even despite the fact that it, I was under like all that stress, like I was just enjoying playing the new expansion so much. But something that kind of there was a moment where it references this base realm reborn thing. And it had happened so long ago for me that um, it hadn't even crossed my mind that this could be a possibility. And then I kind of like freaked out, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe we did this, um, which is it, it always kind of like loops back in on itself. And I actually interviewed um, Natsuko Ishikawa who uh, for VG247 last year, and she was the main scenario writer for Shadowbringers. And she's worked on uh, Final Fantasy XIV for a really long time. And... Um, I remember asking her, it's like, uh, so like, God, I can't, I can't remember the patch, but like Shadowbringers builds off a storyline that happened between, part of it happened between Heaven's Ward and Stormblood, the two previous expansions. And I remember at the time I thought like, this is fucking filler. Like this is nothing to do with anything. And then it turned out that Shadowbringers, it was like my least favorite part. One of my least favorite parts of like the whole MSQ. Um, and, uh, and then it turned out that that was like the whole basis for Shadowbringers. And like, I remember asking her, it's like, do you, so like, do you come up with these storylines like well in advance? And like, are you aware that this is going to come into play later on down the line? And she basically said like, and she's very candid about this. She said, well, actually, no, not all, not really. We will sometimes leave, we'll very often leave things open so that we can do things with them later but that doesn't mean we knew for sure like this wasn't the plan to do this or bring this character back or et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I have i have two comments based on what you're saying one it, i think it's just smart in a way like um this is also a shonen anime or a couple shonen anime comparisons where like it feels like for long-running stories there is a tendency for a writer just to like introduce new characters when they want to introduce a new story and I think I feel like sometimes it might be smarter just to like go back into the well of characters you've already introduced. Like maybe we already have a place or a character or a group that would could be relevant here, and that might touch upon like it might not have been originally planned that these guys or per this person would come back, but it might actually make sense if they kind of just rework it to do that. Yeah. And it also, in terms of a specific example, it actually from from a distance again, it reminds me of the Skypea arc in One Piece. Uh, I actually know Colin started reading One Piece. I have. Um, I remember when Skypea was first coming out, like years and years and years ago, it felt so disconnected from everything else. And people almost called it like filler, like it didn't matter or whatever. But then since then, I guess One Piece also has this reputation for like building upon itself, uh, whether intentionally or kind of uh as a as a way to to stick it to the to the to the vocal fan base oda the the, the author has kept going back to that skype well and kind of like making it more relevant now it just reminded me of that what you were saying where it's like at the time it felt like a waste of time and, and that now it's like definitely not so keep that in mind as you read through that part going like that um, stuff comes that stuff comes up later but so that's start. just I guess I should say that Final Fantasy XIV, from what I read about it, it sort of feels like maybe just because it is so long now, 
it sort of mm-hmm. feels like a long running anime thing in a way yeah it, the other the other thing about it though is it's not like i think opposed to like an anime is it's not like you know it's not doing 25 episode seasons or whatever i'm sorry i don't i'm not i don't watch enough anime i don't know how long a season is but like um like there's like several i think there's three storyline patches like and they're usually about six hours each like this recent one was almost like seven hours um of yeah. content and it was just a patch so like that like this i know a lot of people are probably wondering why the fuck are people talking about a patch as opposed to an expansion and like the thing is like this game's patches are often as big as like other games expansions yeah um, go ahead uh james yeah um the other thing about final fantasies uh 14 storytelling that I really like isn't even necessarily the way that the main scenario like calls back upon itself and brings like these characters like back into the fold and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I've definitely talked about this on the podcast in the past, but one of my favorite things about Final Fantasy is the way it does things like obviously callbacks are something that like TV shows can do. It's not very difficult to do. You can do that if you're a good writer and you know how to uh, reuse characters, but one of the things I love the most about Final Fantasy XIV is how it ties in the side activities sometimes into the main scenario mm-hmm. and it'll like recognize if you've done certain things. Like I remember when I was going through Stormblood's uh, patches and I was doing the uh, uh, Return to I- uh, Ivalice, Ivalice, how do you pronounce it? Ivalice. Ivalice. <laughs> I was going to say that one of the... Yeah, one of the main, well, one of the supporting characters in that storyline is this uh, Mikote uh, reporter that my character mistakenly uh, recognized because apparently she's the sister of a different reporter that's part of the Heaven's Word botanist um, class quests. And there was just a little exchange where it's like, oh, you know, my sister, and there's all sorts of stuff like that. It's like such a small thing. But that stuff happens all the time in this game where if like and you don't expect it, but it's so cool because it makes the world really feel alive and it really makes it easier to immerse yourself in it because the game respects that you do have your own autonomy and you have been doing things your own way. And it just sprinkles these bits and pieces where it's like, yeah, we recognize you you did this. Like Heaven's Word is playing it as a dragoon is like a, a massive example of that that people obviously always talk about, but in that's general, a, that's a small, yeah, that's like a small storytelling thing that is only sort of possible in a in a game version of a story where you know it's responding to the player's actions in a way, yeah. even yeah. in just small ways, and that's cool. That's it's, really cool. It, they they think basically they think out everything like exceedingly well from the design from the gameplay to the story like some like james brought up the return to evilly series so if you didn't know matsuno is actually like a fucking he always was a huge 14 stan like he fucking <laughs> loves it he always did before he worked on it and like he the way they we like here's the thing is like like evilice and that whole that whole like 12 and tactics and all that that that's just part of 14 now like that they fit it in a way that makes total sense and like you don't question it at all like it's not just a like it's not just like a you know a themed event um it, it it's absolutely fits into the the history of the world and uh, i know some fans of 12 don't like that just because it doesn't retain its autonomy but or whatever but um 
it, it they do it so masterfully and i, I don't know how they're going to do it for fucking near <laughs> but um because in near it's kind of funny because so like so like i thought i remember i wrote an impressions piece for vg about the the first near raid um near automata raid and um it's called your dark apocalypse and um and i said like so you kind of just like open find stumble across stumble upon like the ruins of like of like earth in fucking fight in eorzea well it's not eorzea but i won't get into that but like you just find basically near automata in a hole in the ground and i kind of like likened it to as if you were playing destiny and there was just star wars in a hole in the ground like <laughs> like it's just out of nowhere and like i don't know just knowing taro i don't know if he'll actually really fully explain it because like it like the only way we'll know is like when Drakengard Four comes out in ten years, and then some random NPC will just say it because that's him. <laughs> but um, yeah. And oh, by the way, that the the raid, the near stuff. If you're if you're a near fan, you you'll go nuts. And if you especially if you're near end of Final Fantasy fan, like um, the music that um Soken does. Oh, sorry, it's, so I'm going all over the place with Soken. No, oh, no, it wasn't the Soken. The main composer for uh... yeah, near. I can't remember his name suddenly. Um, Ikabe. Yeah, Okabe. Yeah. yeah. So when he when the first near raid for 14 came out, it was kind of like a Final Fantasy tinge on a near song. So like it would sound like it was way to the world, and then like halfway through, like not just like it was like a, an orchestral version of that. And um, and then like halfway through, like the, the crystal theme comes in and it's yeah. it, it blends flawlessly. And in this one, it was like a Final Fantasy song with a near tinge to it. Um, it's a, it's a d- song actually from fourteen, so I I can't yeah. make a reference to it. But like it, uh, God, that raid fucking rules too. They, like, yeah, they do like platforming and everything too. It's so fun. The hallway, the hallway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like Tetris all of a sudden. It's like what's yeah, going yeah. on. I, this... I, I retweeted this tweet where somebody said it feels like um, Taro deliberately made that hallway because he knows that um, Yoshi uh, P plays a black mage and he wanted him to suffer. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. By the way, there's an amazing twist at the very start of the near storyline in this patch. So yeah. I'm excited to um, get to it eventually when I'm not dealing with how, yeah, when I'm not dealing with how slow Realm Reborn is. Uh, yeah. One thing I will say about this patch and the content, not saying like any spoilers, but one thing I can say is I really appreciated in the dungeon some of they they had fun with a bunch of like new mechanics. Mm-hmm. Like um, to put in perspective, in most of Final Fantasy fourteen, you have these AOE markers and they don't move. And the first boss in the dungeon in the patch has these AOE markers, but then there's these arrows that you're like, what the, what do these mean? And then basically those arrows are saying, okay, here's the size and shape of the AOE markers. These arrows are saying where these markers are actually going to move. So you need to pay attention to both the size and like where they're, how, how large they'll be. And you need to pay attention to where they're going to end up before they hit you. And then there's another one where like the final boss, like, makes these holes in the ground you're like why does he make these holes and i guess they're more like pits because you can like walk out of them and it's like oh he has an aoe where you have to go into the holes so you don't get hit and just all sorts of interesting stuff like that the dungeon in general is just amazing probably my favorite in shadowbringers now 
They, so. defi they definitely, so like, just for a frame of reference, like, there's like normal dungeons, like normal four, four person dungeons, and those really generally aren't too tough. And then like, there's raids, and then there's like savage raids, which is like considered the hard end game content. And then there's ultimate, which is literally stuff that's so hard that less, this is an actual statistic, less than 1% of the player Did you see that a group of uh, eight tanks managed to clear uh, ultimate, ultimate comet? Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, crazy, crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's basically esports of fourteen, more or less. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it um, it's a it's a lot to take. Like Colin brought up a Realm Reborn, and a Realm Reborn is pretty slow and dry because it was basically like, for I mean, everyone knows this about this game, but a Realm Reborn was a relaunch of a horrible video game because <laughs> the original Final Fantasy fourteen was barely was held together with duct tape and barely worked and it was i think i remember reading a quote from i think it was the president of square enix at the time i can't remember but he said like if there is another fort final fantasy 14 level of of failure like it might be it for the company um talking about 1.0 like it was just a colossally bad game uh like i remember someone telling me <laughs> they had a link shell which is um just like a no it was a free company which is the in final fantasy's for version of guilds and um uh, a gold farming bot joined their free company without them inviting it and then it kicked all of them out um <laughs> <laughs> yeah so things did not work well um and then yoshi p was brought in as the new director and while they were rebuilding as a realm reborn they also had to add content to the old shitty final fantasy 14 because he said we can't alienate these people that actually bought this game despite how bad it is because they're still playing it and like that's that was his philosophy it's like we can't we can't alienate the only people playing this game so that like a lot of the problems with a realm reborn come from the fact that it's like trying to set up this world and it's trying to teach people how to play an MMO for the first time. And it's, they actually literally had half the uh, development team working on 1.0 at the same time. So yeah. Yeah. But like, it's um, I'm go going ahead, through go it. I'm going through it right now. Cause this is, cause I, I picked it up maybe like a year ago, but I was like trying to graduate from college. So a lot of my time couldn't really be put into an MMO, but now literally like the world is dying. So the only time thing I have to do with my life is play video games. So I've been going back through it after 5.3 with it, like, you know, cleaned up a lot. And I'm, I'm looking forward to like getting a better experience, but so much of it is like, okay, talk to person A who tells you to talk to person B who tells you to talk to person C who says, go fight some stuff and then talk to person A again. And then that's like an hour. And then you have like a, maybe a cool story fight. And then it's another hour of what I just said. And so far the, the whole first, like 11 to 15 hours of the game has just been that. Yeah. There's I, a, I mean, even in Stormblood where people generally agree the story isn't as well as good, the pacing is a lot better. Like pretty much what you're talking about is only really a major problem in uh, a realm of war. Thankfully though, it's a very good game to like maybe throw on like some YouTube video essays or a podcast and then just turn your brain off and then go like, you know, go talk to all person A, B, C, and D and then just deal if with their. If you're uh, playing Final Fantasy 14 while listening to this podcast, leave a comment. Thank you. Let us know. <laughs> we'll read yeah. that. 
Yeah, they uh, they actually the most recent patch rehaul. I think they called thirteen uh, percent of quests in a realm reborn, and they did thing. They just made it so you get. They basically just made it so you get to heaven's word faster. I also like, saw but... that this latest patch. I saw some people tweeting about it. You can now fly in the realm reborn areas. Apparently, yeah. it's kind of awkward, but you can do if it. If nothing else, that's going to be the main thing that makes the patch quest a lot uh, better. Because I remember when I was going through those in April, um, there was so much where it's like, okay, talk to this one NPC and like Lanoskia, now talk to this one NPC and Olda, talk to this one NPC and Gridania. It's like literally having me go across the entire goddamn map for every single quest. It's so slow. Like it's yeah. crazy how slow it is when you're like just starting out. Yeah. It, Again, it has, once you has, reach 2.3s, quests it really starts to get better because that's when the story starts ramping up and like the end of a realm reborn that actually has a real well, the end of the realm reborn patches actually has a really cool like story moment with a bunch of cutscenes, and then it like ties directly into the starting of heaven's word which you're hyped up you're ready to go and heaven's word immediately is like so much better yeah, I'm, re- they... I'm looking forward to it yeah, so they... go ahead this is the last major patch for Shadowbringer, right? No, yeah. no. Um, uh, basically, was... Never mind. Um, so there's going to be 5.4 and then 5.5, which traditionally the 0.5 patches are split into two. So you have like um, the first half and then the second half, which is like, doesn't it happen like only a few weeks before the next expansion comes out usually, something like that? Nah, not a few weeks, but well, thereabouts. Yeah. It, um, so it, it'll the thing is like a lot of it is going to change now where uh like normally what they would do is um this fall they would announce the new expansion um at FanFest but obviously because of covid there there is no FanFest and second of all like the development has slowed dramatically because of all this um so yeah, I, they're still going to do the same content. That there was no, it was exceedingly good quality, and it's amazing that the team adjusted to working from home. Especially when, from what I understand of Japanese, like not even game development, but just in general, like the workforce, like working from home was not a thing, or very much not a big thing there. So, a lot of them, like this is their first experience doing it, and it doesn't show in in fourteen at all. Like it's just as good as it ever was, and um, it only showed in the. Uh... And the longer delay between patches, yeah. right? Exactly, it, that's it. It feels like that final cutscene, not story, not story spoilers, but that final cutscene in the MSQ was kind of like them saying, "Ha ha, through you, technical difficulties." Yeah, they. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite games. Um, and when I when I reviewed Shadowbringers, like I gave it a nine point five, and. Um, it, yeah like there's always there's something for everyone like if you just like love playing with friends like so you can like one of my favorite things is just like getting a really good story out of it one way or another whether it's through the side raids or with in the main scenario itself and then just like going and doing fun shit like pvp with your friends or um getting really good at a trial like literally right after this my free company is gonna go and attempt the new extreme trial which is uh uh, I actually I can't say what it is because it's a spoiler, yeah. but um, 
I'm really looking forward to it. It'll, you know, it'll probably take several hours, and we might not even clear it because it's brand new and they're hard as shit. But uh, I'm looking forward yeah. to it a lot. It's just like I think it's kind of like the perfect quarantine game. And again, anyone that knows me know I, I loved it well before this. But it's kind of the perfect quarantine game for me personally. I mean, well, ask, I mean, ask James. <laughs> yeah, literally for for like two months, I played nothing but Final Fantasy fourteen. So it's uh, they they. They know what they're doing. They don't. They don't get everything right, as no no developers ever do. But um, yeah, they sure seem to get a heck of a lot of it, right? What's oh yeah. Um, I said they sure seem to get a heck a lot a heck of a lot of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, hard. A hell to of a lot of it, back. right? We can swear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it either works. But yeah, they. I can't imagine playing another MMO after this. And it's funny because like, so I never really played Final Fantasy growing up. And because of fourteen, I've I've been going back and playing the old ones, Ooh. and it's kind of and so like the first one I played was eight, which I loved, and then I played nine, which I thought wasn't like amazing, just a stellar, and and then I played ten. Don't ask me why I played in the, that order, and I loved that too. Um, next, I think is going to be seven because. Uh, I want to play it before, not to get on too much of a tangent, but I want to play it before the remake comes out on PC. And, that makes sense. And I and also I know that remake is like there's a reason why you should play the original first. Um, I don't know the details, but I've heard that. And yes, um, I will just say it's true. Yes, yeah. Correct. And and so like one of the funny things that happens to me when I play these old Final Fantasy games is like, whoa. They have healing touch here. Like, oh, that's where Asuna's from. And like, like, oh, uh, yeah, like, I I always spot all these references. Like, oh, there's the fucking boss from Ramparts. It's from this, et cetera, et cetera. And it's uh, it's pretty funny. Like, I really need to do 12 since I know. Oh, yeah. 12's uh, great. Yeah, since I know, especially like Yoshida, they always alluded to that. A lot of uh, 12's lore, from my understand, ties directly into, well, ha- maybe not ties directly in, but there's direct analogs in 14's lore. Let's oh, play 15. 15, 15 oh, yeah. has not, who's best boy? Uh, I mean, Fr- Fran, is Fr- Fran is literally in 14, and it's her. Um, yeah. And, uh, but... Yeah, it's a it's a good video game, and it, it made me go back and play the other games in the series. And I actually just picked up seven on the yeah. Nintendo sale, and I'm looking forward to finally playing yeah. it. I do so, I do feel I do feel like so they they usually reference the more like medieval esque. I mean they they reference all the Final Fantasy games. Like I know oh this is a perfect example of what I was just talking about in one of the Stormblood dungeons. You just fight the scorpion tank. From, or not the, is it from Final Fantasy VII? It's the Scorp- Is it the Scorpion yeah. Tank? Right. Yeah, the, yeah. You exactly. You just fight him, and it's and it's just not brought up. And then, like when I was playing Seven, I'm like, oh, that's where that's from. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, speaking yeah. of Final Fantasy VII, the current like kind of trials, like story thing for the patches oh. is, mm-hmm. um, is Ruby the, Weapon. Uh, Ruby Weapon, Sapphire Weapon. Well, Sapphire Weapon isn't a trial; it's a solo duty where you pile a map pilot a mech so fun uh actually just i need to stop talking but the last thing i'll say is like so like if you're a fan of the suit games you'll there's tons of little bits of like clever fan service so like when you fight ruby weapon like all of like the menus look like final fantasy 7 menus um like those get that blue tinge and everything 
Um, to tie it back to uh, Tactics Ogres, the uh, Deep Dungeon, the first one anyways, Pass of the Dead, like all the music is like Tactics Ogre stuff. Oh, that's cool. It was kind of funny. Uh, I was talking about Tactics Ogre earlier and like I know Matsuno has done Darius. He he didn't write the GBA game I'm playing. At least I'm pretty sure he didn't, but he's done the other ones. And he I know he's done several scenarios in Final Fantasy fourteen as well now. Yeah, he he literally wrote Evilies into that that history now. Like, isn't he writing the, the current relic weapon uh, storyline too? I don't know what he's. That's doing, what Tony but... said. So I think I, I think Tony he, on this. That's a really good storyline, by the way. So yeah. he's a him and Yoshi P have always been really good friends because I I think when they started fourteen, um, uh, it uses the exact same AI system and uh, that twelve does. Uh, for its targeting, like the like little AI markers and whatnot, like you know when you target something in twelve and like a line comes out and points at the enemy, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's actually that technology in fourteen is literally from twelve's development. So, but yeah, it's um, a good video game. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'll say is is that um, this patch didn't just like revamp a Realm Reborn. It didn't just obviously add in a bunch of story content for Shadowbringers. But the free trial, well, but we keep saying this, but the free trial has been upgraded. So if you haven't like already bought the game, you literally can play for free through Heaven's Ward. Yeah. So there's like, and there's just, there's just some little games. limitations on like what you can trade and form parties or things like that. Yeah, and that's it, and that's that's just a combat. Just of, there's a yeah, there's definitely like like every MMO, there is a bot problem on like the market board and whatnot, and they just don't want to make it any easier for bots to. Uh, just make a hundred free accounts and then just start spamming trade messages everywhere or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, it comes with a lot of MMOs. Like for example, like one thing that drives me crazy in this game is you can't add people to your friends list unless they're online. And they actually, I can't remember the reason. Someone told me this recently, but they did it to combat uh, like bot from adding people, trying to add people through listings or something like that. Um, so yeah, that it has all the problems that MMOs tend to have like that. So. Kind of comes with the territory, basically. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a good video game. I would maybe suggest playing it at some point. Now they haven't announced anything about this coming to PS5. It's totally a lot of people happen. play on it. It's going. To yeah, it's going. It's going. I mean, we, we know officially it's coming to Xbox. We just don't know when. I was actually going to bring that up next. Like, wasn't that? I felt like that was a really solid, well substantiated rumor at one point, and then it kind of fell off. I don't yeah. know exactly, but I'm pretty sure from what I've heard that they have said it is coming to Xbox. It just yeah, it is. Yeah, so. it is. I think I feel what it's something I'm really liking about just games in general, like lately, is I really love that cross-platform is just becoming more and more of a thing because I feel like that's been a boundary for like no reason for the longest time, and. Uh, Obviously, yeah, with MMOs like that, they're the ones that benefit the most from having a unified player base. So. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's uh, it's good. It's good. Final right. Fantasy fourteen I mean, has been cross play from the get go, right? Even when it was PS three. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, so kinda... actually, interestingly enough, the eleven, which I never, I don't know if anyone here played eleven. I didn't. Um, but. If like it, it didn't would, have a sub, I'd be interested in going back and trying it, but it is a different old. sub. Yeah. It's super old. Um uh it's funny enough that that game is getting a, a, a story update this month. Um Yeah, we covered that yeah, last we week or two weeks ago. 
yeah, they um. But anyways, that was one of the the first cross-platform games that I ever thought of, or because it was PS2 and PC. PS2, PC, and eventually 360. So. Oh right, right. I forgot about that. Right. And did you know that that game was initially made on PS2 dev kits? So when even though it wasn't on PS2 anymore in 2013, Square Enix got some of the got the very last PS2 development kits from Sony to continue making content for the game. <laughs> Hmm. yeah and that's the main reason why they dropped ps2 support isn't necessarily because it couldn't run on ps2 anymore but because they literally ran out of dev kits Mm -hmm. because this is just this is just me like finding amusement in the smallest things but uh i played i I started this podcast talking about that tactics over gba game and that released in the same month the localization anyway as final fantasy 11 back in 2002 just just me thinking about like how old these games are almost 20 years so yeah it's crazy I think it's uh it's like it's like we planned this podcast so that we could like tie this together at this point just, i don't totally get it why do, why do they call it final fantasy if it's always going and there's more of them i don't get it it's not very final i i, I am 10 <laughs> and this is deep <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly but yeah anyways uh, are there any are there any final thoughts on final fantasy, on the fantasy? 14 yeah there you go. That's Obviously, nice. I've seen only... I've seen basically so many super superlatives about how it's the the trial. Obviously, is super generous. The game is as strong as ever, etc. So it'll be interesting to see if if Colin shows back up uh, in a later podcast what he thinks of Heaven Sword, or um, if if you guys play through that that raid, what you think about that or that extreme trial. So. Yeah, the, if any, if either of you need help, uh, and if you're in Primal Data Center clearing something, I just well, hit me up. I'm a, I'm Leviathan, so definitely, uh, yeah, I'm a Goblin. Yeah, he's on. Uh, unfortunately, he's it's Crystal, right? You're on Crystal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it. That's like the one thing I know. I know Brian's a big Guild Wars head, and like I totally miss the mega servers. That's like the big thing I miss from that game. <laughs> It, it almost feels like it. Yeah, it almost feels like it's. Well, first of all, Guild Wars just inherently has a smaller population. Uh, but people ask like, which server should I pick? And like, the answer is literally, it doesn't matter. Just pick which. Just pick one. <laughs> yeah, that's the. Yeah. Anyways. So into the topic section of this podcast, this will actually be really quite short because not a whole lot happened. So it was kind of cool that we were able to fill the time with some really cool, interesting discussions about Dragon Quest, about uh, Marvel, I guess. Sorry, George. <laughs> and uh, about Final Fantasy. Uh, on the RPG front, the biggest set of updates from this week was the second Cyberpunk 2077 Nightwire episode. And this focused mostly on the life path system, which is basically like your upbringing story. And like basically what amounted to like gun porn, like weapons, like uh, weapons brutally decapitating or like impaling enemies uh so there's it's like there's a longer stream video and then there's like the individual trailer components are all separated out we have them on our post and then obviously they're on the cyberpunk 27 2077 um youtube page my main takeaway watching this is that i really think that that nomad life path looks really interesting because so much of the marketing uh, so that the three life paths are nomad corpo and street kit and they're they're pretty much like outsider and then poor or rich um 
but so much of the marketing of this game so far has always been within Night City, and that's where ostensibly most of the game takes place. But the Nomad Life Path shows like the outskirts of the city, like the the like the desert area in Central California. That's where this game takes place, and it's just so different from everything we've seen before that it's almost like inherently more interesting. So I'm pretty sure that I kind of watched this video, and that's what I'm deciding to be my life path. I just hope. And you can't really tell this from marketing. I just hope it ends up being like significant. And like I think of like the Mass Effect games, where at the beginning of those games you pick whether you're like a soldier or an, or an orphan or whatever. And by halfway through the first game, it feels like it doesn't matter. So that's I'm wondering like whether or not they're putting the focus on this now. Is it gonna be super significant by the time you're an hour twenty or no? Did anyone else yeah. even watch this? No, I, I, yeah, <laughs> okay. I didn't watch it. I was pretty tempted to go Street Kid before, but like you say, the Nomad just looks like it just looks so different. Yeah, like I'm. I, I wasn't really hyped for Cyberpunk just because. Well, well, I was, but I know it's going to be really good, and so like I'm just going to get it, and I'm probably going to love it then. But I'm not like just super, waiting for it to come out. Yeah, like just come out already. And that trailer just made me go. Oh man, this is gonna like this is gonna take up my life in November, isn't it? This is just gonna be on all the time. Uh, Street Kid would be my second option. Corpo just looks depressing. <laughs> Were you gonna say something, Adam? But, so like when they showed like the Nomad start, where you're like literally driving around this giant desert. Like if I didn't know that was like that was cyberpunk. Like if I someone just showed me that clip of you driving around the desert, like it doesn't look like the rest of cyberpunk. Is this cyberpunk a new, a new Mad Max game? New rage. Right. Um, the thing I'm hoping to see most from Cyberpunk is I hope that, like, I guess this is maybe typical or whatever, but I hope, like, the, the quest design and choice and consequence and, like, the branching and whatever that, however that works, I hope it's, like, it feels fleshed out and diverse and that it can be approached or concluded in a variety of ways. They talked about it briefly with the life path thing in terms of like, if you're a street kid, you'll have certain dialogue options when you're talking with like hoodlums in Night City because that's kind of your that's kind of your turf. But if you're a corpo and you're speaking with like bigwigs, you'll be able to like bend their arm a little bit more because you know how to interact with those people and whatnot. And like different quests will have different outcomes. And they they implied that it wasn't just going to be like a binary. If you're a corpo, you do this. If you're a if you're a street kid, you do this. And it's just like three different flavors of the same outcome, if you will. So, so I'm hoping Don't... that like that the the quest design and the way that the story unfolds based on your out based on your on your life path and based on the choices you make and also based on your character build. I think that's varied and diverse. That's always been a like a, a a selling point, if you will, of Western RPGs. And sometimes it's kind of, sometimes it gets into issues there in terms of how well designed or how, how much water these, these, these quest branches hold. But that's, that's what I'm really hoping to see is I hope Cyberpunk can do that well, where like you, you could play through the game and I could play through the game, but based on our life path and based on the decisions we make, we might end up with a really different, like, like our, how our story unfolds might be completely different. That's what I'm hoping to see. Yeah, and and the marketing is of course going to say, yeah, we make sure it matters, but you just can't know until you know. We play through it and compare notes, basically. Mm -hmm. 
I'm also just going to say bluntly that I hope some of the tone deaf marketing and uh, social media stuff, I hope that's just, you know, yeah, I hope game well. I hope they're just touching their marketing with like super soft cotton gloves and they're just like, we don't want to piss off anyone. So we're going to say nothing of substance in this game in the marketing. But then I hope you actually play the game and you're like, oh, it's actually all there. See, the uh, thing is, from from what I've seen on Twitter, it, it seems like Cyberpunk is just really leaning into that satirical, sarcastic corporate thing, where it's like, which just doesn't seem right from CD Projekt, because like The Witcher always felt really heartfelt. Like, it felt like, do you remember when they released The Witcher and then it came with all that free stuff, like in the in the case, and the it had a little message, like basically saying from the developers, like, thank you for buying the game. And it just felt really like genuine. Like when I was playing it, I was like, man, like the developers like love this product. They put so much time and effort into it. And obviously Cyberpunk has had a lot of time and effort put into it as well, but the marketing wouldn't really have you believe that. It, it does feel like a different studio, which yeah. might be inherent to the fact that it's such a different genre of game. Go ahead, this, is a, this is actually a great point, but something I wanted to bring up, like this is a good point you brought up, but like something I did want to bring up is um, I remember when witcher 3 was coming out that the marketing was kind of obnoxious in a similar way not to this degree but it was like there was lots of like dogging on bioware and like oh we're we're the real bioware now like that kind of attitude and like i remember thinking oh, really? like um i remember at the time i thought like uh um i'm not even saying this is like a bioware thing because i i think that they should i feel yeah they've made a great game in a long time anyways but it was it was kind of obnoxious i was just, just like uh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, is this game actually like, like it's really easy to get turned off by shitty marketing. I find um, the only thing I remember about um, Witcher three pre-launch, not even necessarily the marketing, but the graphical downgrade and how everyone was clowning on the game that. because of that. It's crazy. Cause uh, Witcher three still looks fucking bananas too. Like, oh well, yeah, it does, but it, it was downgraded. Well, cyberpunk also just, just on that note, just to wrap it up when they showed this game for the first time in 2017 or 18, they showed it two E3s in a row. I believe it was 18, 19, two of those years. They basically slathered the presentation and this is this is dev work. It might not look like this. This is dev work. It might not look like this. And then even like it was behind closed doors for press and then they were so hesitant to make it public because of that. So I think that was the response to the, the Witcher 3 downgrade hoopla. That's but speak, <laughs> speaking of the Witcher 3 marketing, there was sort of an infamous line in one of the trailers like, we are mature. We handle tough subjects like even racism, and that even racism kind of became a meme. Uh, yeah, even racism. But uh, Cyberpunk's marketing, in a way, it sort of feels like what a kid thinks mature is. It's like, oh yeah, we're edgy and cool and blood and sex and all that, and like we're so mature. And it's like, I hope that's just marketing. <laughs> I hope I hope there's a choice like that Dragon Quest choice where you're like, oh shit, I don't know which one I should do here. That would be more impressively mature to me, where you have to weigh like different people's priorities and or like whether it's a narrative thing or whether it's a resource thing. That would be way more interesting to me than a character who swears every other word. Like, okay, very mature of you. I, I will say I did just buy the um the world of Cyberpunk 2077. This uh. It's like a, it's sort of like an art book that's just released. Uh, I think last week I bought that just because I, I like to collect stuff, as you guys know. And the satirical focus is very, very, very present in that. Like it's very much like 
it's just very sarcastic. It's, oh it's yeah, you showed a you showed a you showed a um a image that looked to be like um like a a spoof of like the NRA or like a a gun toting family of southern yeah. rednecks. I guess like I wasn't really expecting that. And it's it's funny, but like I, I sort of bought the book to understand the world a bit more, and there is a lot of lore dump there, but a lot of it feels like advertisements for stuff in the game. Like there's a there's one picture that I shared. Uh, I don't know if I shared it on Twitter, but it, it was like a, a guy who looked like the main character holding up a glass of water. It was like, real gallon of water, 99 cents. And then there's like a bunch of terms and conditions underneath. And I was like, this is funny, but like, not really. It's a little on the I'm nose. Thinking. Yeah, a little on the nose. Um, kind of feels like Outer Worlds. Yeah, it did feel like Outer Worlds. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Still haven't played that. Good game. I guess that uh, that DLC is coming out in like a month, so I'll have to like knock the knock the rust off there. And because I'm, I didn't love that game, but I thought it was fine. It was it was just fine. So I'll uh, put it back up. Wasn't quite but, uh, New Vegas for you. I actually keep my main takeaway from that game is that I think a lot of people who compare that to New Vegas, I think that's a very surface level comparison. I actually think the game plays a whole hell of a lot more like Mass Effect even though it's first person but people just see like the first person perspective with dialogue options and like aha it's like fallout i actually don't really think it's that much like fallout it just doesn't have the same sort of like open-endedness uh that the fallout like i i just recently played like fallout one i actually talked about the podcast like a month ago and then obviously i think pretty highly of new vegas Mm -hmm. uh because just the way that i don't want to go on this tangent Outer Worlds, we'll, we'll talk about it again when, when the DLC comes out. Uh, maybe we'll see if it, because it has a different writing staff behind it, so I wonder if it'll uh, land a little bit more strongly. Speaking yeah. of first-person RPGs... Thank oh! You. <laughs> uh, I'll just let you take it. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is just a smaller update, but um, Paradox and Hardsuit Labs announced that Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 will not release this year. It will come out next year. Make makes sense. Um just cuz I imagine that uh uh first of all like there I'm super interested in this game like just in general like I there's something about just like the mythology and the the setting like I love being in the Pacific Northwest and being in Seattle and like it just looks like such a fascinating universe because I've never been, I've never, what, what is the like universe it's called? World of Darkness. That's it. Yeah, um, a very, a very uh, unique name. <laughs> There's literally a raid of 13 called World of Darkness. Um, anyways, so yeah, Kingdom Hearts, exactly. Um, but, you know, it did. I think it needs to get delayed just because it did look kind of rough. Like it, I, I liked what I saw, but it did look the combat, especially, I was like, woof. And also, this game would get absolutely eaten alive by Cyberpunk if it tried to come out in the same window. Um, so I think it's good. And it's yeah, hard both, of, these, both of those games were slated to release like earlier this year, which is crazy. I think those were always, even in a non-COVID world, is way too optimistic. Yeah. And Hardsuit Labs is a relatively new developer. I think they made like a, sh- a, a shooter in the past. I, like, I don't even remember what it's called. So, and I don't think they're very big, so they might just need more time. They don't, they're not CD Projekt. And um, the first game infamously launched too early. And even to play it today, 
even I'm pretty sure even the, uh, Brian Matsoda would like to say, hey, get that unofficial patch when you're when you if you want to play that because you pretty much Brian Matsoda is the writer of both games. Uh, right. I think first of all, I think it's too. cool that they brought him back. You know, that, that's the guy. Later. That's like the guy that looks like Dante, right? Yes. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The the other game that they made Adam was uh, was Blacklight. Oh yeah. So yeah, um, I think the delay just in in all in every any way you look at it, it just makes sense. You know, take the time, make it a good game, especially if it's like a game that's like a sequel follow up to a cult classic. You don't want to disappoint. Yeah, and you're so. Speaking of other delays, this isn't an RPG-focused thing, but I'm just going to take the segue while I have it. Uh, Halo is not coming out this year. How do we feel about that? It, uh, it's, Xbox uh, is going to struggle to launch their system this year. <laughs> and the thing about that game is um, I actually thought it looked pretty fun, like the gameplay-wise. I thought that yeah, was set it on. Yeah, me too. a fun Halo shooter, and it reminded me of, you know, I know that's what they're going for, but it reminded me of the first one. And and yes, the graphics were not good. Um, and I think that that Microsoft strategy is really interesting that they're trying to make it. To the, they're basically making Xbox a like platform. They want game. The Game Pass is the thing they're trying to push now, not Xbox. Um, but I do think that's going to hurt some of their first party games in the sense that like they technically have the more powerful system out of the two new ones. But uh, they have to get that fucking game to run on a base Xbox One, and um, I think that's. Well, I wouldn't. Of... I wouldn't be surprised that when it resurfaces, that it's no longer an Xbox One release. But I oh, guess I... that's just a hunch. I really don't have any like insight. I, I to could. Say I, that. I could see that because I did. Admittedly, I do really love Halo. Um, well, the the Bungie ones, and um, but I did think it looked really fun. But yeah, that you know after Craig. The brute became a meme yeah. like they they had to delay it like it just they they cannot fuck halo used to be a fucking cultural phenomenon and now it's just another shooter and they can't they can't fuck up another halo release and i think that's i think of with. i think of microsoft right now as like a third-party developer and i don't mean that with any negative connotation when people when you say oh. that people think of remember when sega failed or whatever but like i think yeah. sega makes some publishes some amazing games and i think yeah. microsoft in six years five years four years could be behind some amazing games whether it's an upsetting game or about, a, yeah i'm not worried about microsoft all you need to know is look at the steam charts and see that like so many of their games are in the top 10 most played games on Steam right now. Like, Sea of Thieves is, like, blowing up. Obviously, mm-hmm. Master Chief Collection does really well. Grounded, Grounded up, landed yeah. way longer, way had a way bigger splash than I think anyone expected. Yeah, yeah. so it's, like, um, and I think, like, just recently, Phil Spencer was on, like, uh, that one Animal Crossing talk show that uh, Gary Witta does. Yeah. Which I, I'm still surprised that that's a thing and it's gotten so big. But, um basically saying directly yeah we don't care about how many consoles we're selling we're going for software sales and engagement and it seems like at least using steam as a metric that so far that is working out so they're trying to um i mean the thing is it kind of matches microsoft as a company like they may you know they're like they're a software company and like one of their biggest something that dwarfs any of their video game revenue stuff is like office 365 subscriptions um, so it may, I get like it makes sense. 
I remember thinking like back when they back when their Surface line first released, I really thought that those had a pretty big splash, and I bought a Surface book, and I thought that man, maybe maybe they turned it around. But even that line has kind of like faltered a bit. They've just recently announced like details on their Surface Duo that if people kind of like it's priced way too high for what it is, depending depending on who you ask, but it's the general consensus. Well, the Duo is an ARM-based machine, right? So I I'd imagine part of the reason the prices so high on that is because it's um also like subsidizing like r&d for like an entirely new platform or something like that and that's a bit of a tangent it's just that i felt like four years ago i was more optimistic on their hardware side than i am now now i'm more basically like i'm really just i'm just excited to see what the developers are working from i don't really care about the xbox as a console but mm-hmm. but I don't mean that really negatively. I just like I'm, I'll look forward to whatever whatever playground games releases when it comes out, yeah. and I'll probably play it on PC. And some people will just say like they almost say that with like a sense of arrogance, where like, ha, I don't need to get an Xbox. I can play on PC. Where like Microsoft be like, you know, great, buy it where you want. Like yeah, I, I, we you're supporting us either way. <laughs> yeah, they uh, um. To try and make this more related, uh, one thing I, I'm super happy about with Infinite it is it is not an RPG looter shooter. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it and does was... relatively open world though, which is yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I, I remember Alex joking when Infinite was first announced, like maybe that'll have RPG elements and we can cover it on our oh. site. <laughs> our RPG site: five best ways to headshot a jackal. <laughs> Anyways, but that's what Brian thing... was saying. Um, sorry, was, we we briefly mentioned Obsidian, and like they're going to be making Avowed, which is the first time oh, in a right. while Obsidian is going to be working on a game with like with like they presumably with money, have a good amount of support <laughs> and money behind it. So it's been a while since they have that. Uh, so that that's still a ways out, like three or four years. But it'll be interesting to see that. That's that's one thing because I'm an Obsidian fan for the most part, but I think I think sometimes pretty much all of their games have not all so many of their games have been like rushed or had limited scope for various reasons. But I feel like they're kind of given like extra leash where it's like, yeah, Coder Two is buggy, but they had to make it in a in a year and it had so much ambition behind it. Or yeah, Fallout New Vegas was you know kind of stapled together, but they were borrowing another engine and then you people feel sorry for them because they only got an 84 on Metacritic or yeah, Outer Worlds was limited in scope, but it had a very new publishing arm behind it. But now it's like with this game, they have no excuses. Like what can they do fully supported without any caveats? Like are they actually as good as some people think the reputation is or are they not? Well, considering I'd say that both Outer Worlds and even like to a certain degree, like Grounded, which was only made by like a dozen people or so, and it's obviously still in early access, both those games, for my money, felt very polished. So I don't feel like there's much to worry about with like the full like weight of the studio behind a, a larger game. I feel like there's a good chance it'll be fine. The spiders in Grounded are terrifying. I can't do it. Uh, we, uh, we've talked about this. <laughs> Yeah, they scare the shit out of me. It makes me sad that there is always one game, when when Brian was listing off all the Obsidian games, there's one game that everyone always forgets that they made, including myself, and it's the fantastic South Park RPG that was... If if Alex were here, he would actually also say that, because he thinks really highly of that game as well. Even its sequel, which wasn't made by Obsidian, 
both of them are fantastic, but the first one was so so good, and no one ever seems to remember that they made it. I feel I like this is a. I feel like. Yeah, it was just a Ubisoft studio, I think. But I also feel like this is the. Op- I'm not obligated to mention that Alpha Protocol is also janky as heck, but cool as heck. Sega, bring it back. <laughs> I guess they can't. I guess they can't anymore, unless it's an Xbox exclusive. I don't know. How does that work? I think Obsidian's been coy on their Twitter, like, yeah, ask Sega, we'll do it, or we'll support it if they want to do it, or whatever. <laughs> but um, the only other note that I have here in our podcast doc is uh, about a certain character from the Devil May Cry series. Uh, so when when Shin Megami Tensei 3 <laughs> Nocturne HD remaster was announced two weeks ago, we learned that it was based on a... 2007 2008 Japanese only version of the game that's that uh did replace Dante with Raidu from the oh, what sub series of games is that Devil Raido something Kuzunoha. um he has it's so the Raidu Kuzunoha games are like a sub series in a sub series because there's Devil Summoner which is like which started as mainly like cyberpunky like games and then turned I, I someone's probably going to come at me because they're just like oh they're not cyberpunk but whatever but like, and then the prequel to those games takes place in like Edo era Japan, which I'm probably also getting wrong. And they feature just like Raido Kuzunoha, who's like a detective who solves crimes related to demons. And he's kind of the coolest person ever. Yeah, he's super so charismatic. So uh, the, the, the punchline is, is that now you can still get Dante in Shin Megami Tensei 3 HD Remaster, but he's going to be paid DLC. You don't know like this. Go ahead. It's the worst version of Dante 2. <laughs> yeah, it's the DMC2 Dante. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay. Like, the one good thing about DMC2 is the Dante design. Come he's, on. He's, he's fine. Oh, wait, I just, I just assumed that it was the same version of Dante that was in the original Shin Megami Which is also well, the DMC2 Dante. There was cross-promotion between Nocturne and DMC2. Honestly, it's... that dorky coin still that's, like, fake on both sides? Is that in Nocturne? I don't remember, honestly. This is a tangent, but he had this coin that was like, oh, he do heads or tails to decide whether he helps someone out. But like, the trick is that it would always land on what he wanted it to land on, which was always helping people out. And at the end, it's like, oh, it was double head the whole time. And I'm pretty sure that's in SMT. I'm not 100% sure. That's actually, I think he might flip it once or something. Is I have to say, though, isn't it just the most Atlas thing ever to make this 10 bucks? Like well, from I don't want to like defend DLC practices, but for this one is like the only ones I kind of get it because apparently it's a lot more than just Dante. You're, it's like a lot of other changes to the actual game than just, oh, Dante's here now. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I imagine Capcom, like, you know, they had to licensing, fee. licensing fee, which yeah. is why Rido's in the base game because they own him. And like, I'm seeing a lot of people being like, well, why not just give the Western version, like, give us Dante for free? Because that was the one we got in the West. It's like, no, but the Rido one's the last version of the game, which is basically the ultimate version of Nocturne, is what we're getting at default. Mm-hmm. Like, also there, is kind of, there is kind of a weird dichotomy where it's like people who are like big SMT fans, they know who Rido is. And those, the, the second Rido game, uh, the King of Baden one, is legitimately pretty fun. Uh, it's still kind of not the greatest action RPG, but it's just a pretty cool game on its own. And Raidu is cool. So like big SMT fans, like this is their first chance to actually play as Raidu or get them on in Nocturne in English. That's cool. But then like 
Dante is obviously just a much more popular character. So oh, kind of yeah. like the broader fan base is like, we want to play as Dante, not whoever this Redu guy is. So. That was literally my only question last week, uh, two weeks ago when it was announced. I was like, is Dante in it? So <laughs> they're appealing to me at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's uh, one cool thing about this that some people aren't really like, uh, I guess, talking about because they don't know is that so originally Dante was a cool party member or whatever, but he doesn't have Pierce. So he's not that useful in late game and he kind of sucks. But yeah. Rado yeah. has Pierce. Um, Dante, they're adding back in Pierce to him to make him more viable to use. It, explain to me, that, like, I'm five. What is Pierce? Like, I can glean a general um, meaning, but ignore like, defense, basically. Yeah. Uh, so resistance is gone. Just fuck him up. It's, it's, mm. so. So he's basically handicapped. Well, Dante was compared to Rido. So like Dante's like, oh, cool. Dante's here. I'm not putting you in my party because you're not good late game. I'm not dealing with you. I find it incredibly funny that Dante wasn't originally able to use Pierce when like his whole gimmick is like guns, which. I can't, uh, just as someone who really doesn't know much about SMT other than like, you know, the Persona games casual, I know. Um. I can't wait to finally play this because I've wanted to forever. And I know some people don't like the like new graphics or whatever, which is kind of par for the course with any remaster, it feels like. But I'm just so glad that this is coming back on a new platform and I can play it. Oh, I'm stoked. I'm going to... I, I feel like it's very faithful to the graphics. Because um, the lighting's a little different, but it's as yeah. good as you could get based on like the situation of how old the game is and yeah. wanting to clean it up. Yeah, I kind of... I I always feel kind of like mixed on this because like there's some HD ports like Silent Hill that are like monstrosities and they could have <laughs> done better. And then there are some there's some that I just know that it's like really hard to actually not to bring it back to Halo, but like when they put Halo Master Chief Collection on PC, uh, when you try to play Reach specifically, Halo Reach with uncapped frame rate, um, it kind of gets like this like jittery feel to it. And you have to cap it at 60 or else if your refresh rate's higher than 60, it looks kind of jittery. And like 343 was just like, yeah, this tech like wasn't ours and like it really wasn't supposed to go beyond like 30. And I feel like that that kind of thing happens to a lot of remasters and people are a little quick to like jump on people, jump on the developers. And because like when I again, I did not play the original one, so I don't know if it's super unfaithful or something but like i thought this i thought it looked really good the remaster the pictures they showed of, of nocturne i thought oh, it, it does. great i'm i'm working through nocturne right now um on a pcsx2 so i'm like basically it'll be neat for me because i'm playing like the fan version of like the widescreen patching and all that stuff and then i'm gonna go to the um you know the remaster in october when it comes out uh the japanese release and it's like so so all the screenshots look great like they've they've cleaned up the graphics a lot. I mean, they're adding voice acting, which is like honestly enough for someone like me to double dip. Like everyone's like, oh, well, you have to pay for Dante. I'm like, okay, but I'm not gonna like, but it's still Nocturne with voice acting. I think the great thing about Dante though being like that they had to include him. Like, there's no way they don't know about the memes. Oh, yeah. uh, there's no way. Um, <laughs> so I'll definitely buy it. I, I'm so excited to finally play this. Um, I mean, I always, they. They very obviously do know the uh, meme since the Atlas West Twitter account even posted the. Uh, it was just the, uh, the logo, the logo. Yeah, featuring Dante oh, yeah. from the Devil May Cry series. I wonder if it was Zach that tweeted that. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Maybe. Uh, I know Zach he, is yeah, an ex RPG site staff who does public relations at Sake Atlas. Yeah. 
Mm. I'm so excited for Nocturne. Like, oh my god. Yeah, I know that it it felt like that almost overshadowed the other game they announced, you know? Maybe I'm wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, that that, that other SMT game. (laughs) Whatever that one is. I have not played SMT 1 or 2, which never released in English, but as I understand it, SMT 3 was actually like kind of a unicorn in that it was not really like 1 and 2, and it's not really like 4 either. It's sort of... It's completely it's unique. Yeah, it's 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 weird because it's like it was like the first mainline SMT game in English, but it was kind of not really like the other games. But the way that this was announced alongside 5 and what 5 is shaping up to look like, it seems like... It seems like, at appearances anyway, that SMT5 is looking to be like in the same vein. Like, we're going to be SMT5 more like three. So it's like going to be similar in tone and style. It seems that that's what they're going for. And that the way that it was announced, the remaster, it, it, that's, that's, the, that's the impression I'm getting. I hope they do and that. Also, yeah. And also, for people like Kyle, so mm-hmm. Nocturne is uh, kind of notoriously. I don't want to say difficult, but it's it's challenging in a way where like you kind of have to learn how to play it by getting punched in the face a few times, and oh, like, yeah. uh, you kind of have to figure it out. And if you if you if you aren't playing it, you know, smartly, if you're gonna you're gonna know that because you're gonna struggle. But they are adding like an easier mode for the game. But mm-hmm. also one thing that they haven't really confirmed yet is that the original version of Nocturne. If you played like Persona and you fuse demons or you, you do fusion, you can mm-hmm. um, bring skills. You, you can pick which skills you want to keep in your fused Persona. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of build it how you want. In Nocturne, the original version, you cannot pick. It's, it's random. random. And so that means when you're playing the game functionally, effectively, what that means is that uh, you would go into the menu and like select which fusion you want to do. And then it would give you a preview of what your fused demon would be. And if it didn't have the skills you wanted, you would like cancel out of the menu and then go back into the menu and see if it like it would it would it would swap because it's it's randomized. You just see like the next random seed if it's if that's what you want. If that's not what you want, you leave the menu again. You go back again, and it's I'm it's very it's, tedious. It's one of those things that it's like being a purist in one way. For, like some masochistic part of me wants it to stay that way, but like being a realist, like maybe it should probably just allow you to pick because you're just gonna be wasting time messing with the rng anyway if 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 there's already a system in place where you can shuffle through and get what you want why not just streamline it a bit the main thing i want from the game is um just save anywhere because a lot of the smt remaster remakes whatever you want to call them have added that option as like you know as just optional like uh, strange journey redux has it so that if you want to save anywhere you want you totally can but you don't have to and i'm hoping we get something like that because Nocturne without the ability to save state, especially in the Labyrinth of Amala, is yes, miserable. Yes, yes, the, uh, the, It's the, so tense. Okay, so the thing about the... Like, everyone always hears this thing about um, about Nocturne, how amazing Nocturne is. I'm going to spoil this thing. Well, not actually spoilers, but like, all right, new Nocturne fans, the Labyrinth of Amala sucks. It's awful. Like, what? No, it, it doesn't. It's, it's great. It's really... No, like, the first thing you do, how all you... It just it's very anti like they, they were really trying to just make the player miserable during that and it's I, uh they're i'm they're still of the mindset hard. that sometimes you can make some really impactful games by inconveniencing the player oh no you can it's just 
whole like compared to everything else that happens like nocturne it's a hard game but a lot of the difficulty of it is very like you know it's it's gradual like it's i'd say most of nocturne is fair the labyrinth of amala is not fair that's and why it's great i i guess i just like <laughs> don't start it right away maybe uh jump back to the labyrinth of amala later on so you don't get curb stomped by how brutal the difficulty is it's it's extreme it is definitely not fair i'll definitely agree with you on that (laughs) it is not fair at all no that's the main thing i guess i was trying to get to it's it's not the difficulty in labyrinth of amala is not fair and um don't do it if you don't want to like it's it's you might like oh i have to do this and for one of the endings yes but that's where dante is yeah he's just chilling out there have fun with that no, no seriously, you're just wandering the labyrinth of Amala, and then like you turn a corner, and then all of a sudden, like Dante's here, and he's gonna start shooting at you. Yeah, and you better run. I always... Dante from Definitely Cry. I I always hear that that game has incredible atmosphere, oh, which is does. kind of which is kind of like a I know like a blanket statement, but it just I really love. Um, oh God, I forgot his name. Who's the artist who does all um, the like? Kaneko. 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 Yeah. I I oh, I really love his art. He's got like this like macabre like. This sounds disparaging, but I don't know how else to describe it. Like all of his characters kind of look like vampires, and I love it. Oh, it's great! <laughs> yeah, he's. I can't wait. I oh, I'm so excited to play this. So it's October this year for Japan, and I think I think it's only narrowed down to quarter one U.S. I don't quite remember. Which makes sense because it seems like they're re- they're probably going to be retranslating the whole thing, and I imagine like because of like COVID issues, the voice acting for that's going to be pretty difficult to get right in america but why do you think they're going to be retranslating it i didn't well i mean given the the gap i imagine because nocturne has like a fine translation but i imagine it's atlas like for all their remakes they usually brush up on the translation and the fact that like it's a decent gap and i think it's fair to assume they're going to be like cleaning the script up and making it a bit you know better I, i i know that there's some like weird translation quirks that like the um the candelabra they might uh change the name of that but i'm not I, that's just a guess I, I actually now that i think of it i know there are a few of the atlas older smt games i forget which ones but like they actually got some of the demon names slightly wrong because there's like mithra and mithras and there was like one game where they like got them swapped or something it's like they're very similar names and also i know in the original version of nocturne this is one of those weird tech things but the girl's name chiaki her last name in the English version is different than in the Japanese version. And the only reason why is because of character limits. They couldn't use like, I think like one of the names is Tachibana and I forget what the other one is, but they had to just change her name because the the, the Romanized form of her name would not fit in English. Just weird stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe they'll change it back. So I just imagine stuff like that. They're probably going to like go back and make it a bit more faithful to the original script and like, you know, clean it up. Because that's the only thing I could think of why there's like a gap on that one if there's not a gap on five. So it's probably just like, okay, we have this old script and it's fine, but we could update it and make it a bit more faithful to the original uh, Japanese version. For what it's worth, Sega Sammy's financials slotted SMT5 as a release this fiscal year, which would mean before like March 31st of next year. I feel like that's probably optimistic, you know, just because they list it in their financials now, you know, it, it's this year until it's not this year, but 
if it does come out like within you know a year that's that's crazy so basically yeah, he remaster and five might be relatively close together yeah because the five is going to be worldwide so whenever it releases in japan it should release here at the same time right they said that that's, that's what they yeah. stated yeah so and we aren't we're still not sure exactly if it's going to be like uh one of those weird nintendo published in the west sort of deals um i imagine it probably will be so nintendo's like, probably making the push to like get it worldwide because they know well like hey people in america are not going to want to wait yeah they uh that one to come along and get rpg site game of the year again just like apocalypse was it apocalypse i got it that one year yep we gave it our 2016 game of the year but to, so, uh, apocalypse so, was a good game but 2016 was also just kind of a weak year <laughs> oh yeah, yeah just just uh just to like i i just want to bring this memory back i remember we were talking a lot about dark souls 3 versus final fantasy 15 and i remember alex was like eh, 15 is all right but i don't know about game of the year and like i was like dark souls 3 is a really good game but it's also just kind of like a cover of the first dark souls hmm. and so then i think adam i think it was adam that was like hey what about smt it should i be. think it was me <laughs> i think it was me josh and darren darren doesn't yeah. uh, do for us do anything for us anymore but we all played it and all really liked it and like why I th- not i think that was i think that was also the year of blood and wine or it's like this is really good but we can't give this our game of the year because uh, it's an yeah. expansion or something like that yeah yeah, it was like, it was literally, like, I remember I, because, like, each time, I don't know if you still do this, but at the time we all voted, like, the whole staff voted on what would be Game of the Year, and I remember I I ended up voting for Apocalypse, even though I didn't fucking play Because <laughs> I'm like, Dark Souls 3 should not be Game of the Year, and you said the other should have a 15. It's it's this game I've never played. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I got to the end of Apocalypse, like, the very end up to the final boss, and I just, like, the last act of that game, I just don't like at all. The last dungeon is the weak point. That... It is the worst. Like, it's one of the worst dungeons in the series. But, like, the story is also really weird. Like, it's... I don't know how to, like, describe it. I think how they handle Dogda in the... um, I think it's the peace ending, whatever that route is. You know, the happy friendship ending. Is one of the worst writing things I've ever seen in a game. Yes basically what they do is dogda turns evil and basically it's like well, well if we kill dogda it's going to kill the main character because they're like linked but what we're just going to like hand wave it so that yes we can kill him and then like dogda's mother will just like recreate him but he's yeah. good he's good now it's like and what? it's not that he it's not that he turns evil he's a dickhead the whole game and then yeah, at the but... very end he's like okay well i they're like he's like all right guys i'm a dickhead you know this i'm just going to be a dickhead again and they're like oh you stop that and they're like Dogda, Dogda's mommy, you tell him to stop. So she makes the cool Dogda, the nice, obedient Dogda that doesn't talk back. And then he's just like, what the fuck? And the player's like, what the fuck? And it's just this really awkward thing. You have to you have to beat the mad Dogda so you could get the like the nicer Dogda. And then Dogda becomes a boring character because the cool thing about Dogda is that the entire time you're like talking to all these people are like the power of friendship. And then Dogda's like, friendship ain't shit, kid. Anarchy is that how it is. And Dogda's a really fun character, but that was horribly handled because they couldn't find a way to just make it so that, you know, you talk to Dogda or Dogda like sees your perspective or whatever. So they just make a nicer Dogda. 
I've yep. said Nagda so many times in the last minute. This this uh, this this Shimanami Tensei Four Apocalypse Tangent brought to you by the RPG site 2016. This game episode later. is just tangent. <laughs> the episode. <laughs> All right, so I think we we're, we're wrapping up on the uh, Shimanami Tensei news. We started this with the Dante DLC discussion, but it'll be cool to revisit it uh, with potentially two cool titles to talk about early next year so while this year might be a little bit light in terms of uh just i guess just jrp just support in general outside of like final fantasy 7 remake uh next year it seems like there's a lot of promising stuff in the future especially if that's when like tales of arise lands and things like that i'm sure josh and i will be able what might be able to talk about uh the nocturne remaster in october because i'm pretty sure both of us uh ended up getting the fancy special edition for that which is now impossible to get. Yeah, um, we've done import stuff before. This, in this case, it's a little bit different because it's a known quantity. It's not a new game, but we might be able to do something cool with it if you guys think of anything clever to do, or or just talk about it here uh, once you guys are able to get your hands on it. I'm probably just gonna be like, "It's good that." It <laughs> yeah, ten out of ten. The last thing we have on the notes here, which I, I loathe bringing up because this is just a big can of worms and it's not even really topical to our site, uh, but Epic <laughs> Games decided to um, introduce their own direct payment plan for Fortnite V-Bucks on the Apple Store where you're not allowed to do that. So they were, they were kicked off the store and now, et cetera, et cetera, a few more things happened. Epic Game is they suing to both. Themselves. They are I... suing both Apple and Google uh for their basically i don't even know why google's involved because you could sideload fortnite anyway well it's because they um pushed the same in-app purchase change to the android version yeah so uh, google also took it off the play store this uh... uh i think i agree with jim sterling's opinion on this where it's like apple sucks google sucks but also epic sucks yeah the- that they're trying to weaponize children to fight this fight for them is honestly even more disgusting than well, the draconian measures that Apple takes for the app store. I, I'm in a complete <clears throat> agreement. Admit it. Yeah, that's the thing about this is like, uh, yeah, Apple and and Google suck, but like, like what I study in university is like PR and like communication stuff, and like this is like. A very clear cut like because fortnite is basically a social media platform at this point like right it's it really is and uh they very clearly are trying to create a like a communications crisis for for both apple and uh google and they're just weaponizing their audience to try and force because they're like oh we're fighting for small developers rights and like it's which that's total fucking horseshit by the yeah, way not, i they, i have two opinions on this first of all i feel like i would feel the same way even if fortnite's game if if you told me fortnite's average player base was 26 i would still feel the same way just to take your established audience who's predisposed to defend you voraciously anyway mm-hmm. to, to fight your legal battles in a way t- so you can b- improve your bottom line i still i still think that sounds kind of gross and no, i've seen it some and I've seen and the second thing is that um, I've seen some people say like, well, Apple and Google are combined worth like one trillion dollars where where uh, or one billion dollars. And basically, there's orders of magnitude between Epic <laughs> yeah. and and Apple and Google. So therefore, so therefore, Epic is the plucky underdog. I'm like, when the numbers no. are that big, it, 
you can't just say, matter. well, Apple Apple is a bigger tyrant than Epic, which is just a moderately sized tyrant. Like, okay, that's yeah. not really that great a defense. Come on. Which yeah. multi-billion it, dollar super corporation is the best of all, yeah. the, all the others. I, I think very... But let I me think, put it this way. If they were only attacking Apple and they weren't deliberately trying to get their user base to fight the battle for I would actually be in full support of what Epic's doing here, because Apple, especially the stuff that happened with xCloud recently, and the clear hypocrisy where they they let um, services like Netflix and Hulu like exist on the App Store for subscriptions and whatnot, but they're not going to let xCloud, and they're obviously forcing like in-app purchases to go through their payment processing. There's a legitimate argument there that they need to be like taking the task. The problem is like with Google, first off. You can sideload apps on Android. You like the entire crux of the argument there. It's like just well, release the app like on your own platform or like put it on the Samsung or anything like that, which they already do. It's like so when they're also suing Google and they're deliberately trying and oh my god, that video was actually disgusting with the way they're trying to frame it. Oh yeah, the it's that the 1984 and they have and they have this like faq where it's like why can't i play fortnite well if you want to play fortnite you know use this hashtag and make your voice heard it's like oh, i know i actually, actually i thought uh, our boss alex i thought he had the best where he said free dragon's dogma too <laughs> <laughs> but i would say the whole thing is pretty reprehensible like again it's not saying that apple's good or google's good it has nothing to do with that i just think that epic is whole very clearly being awful and 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 I I just think it just it really bothers me on a lot of levels and a, a multi billion dollar corporation like again like you said Brian like when you start getting in numbers like that like it, it doesn't even matter after a point like like Epic is not Epic is not Rocky like this is not this is not David versus Goliath this is just two this is giant corporations fighting and one of them is shitty it. one of them's being much more shitty than the other. And I, yeah, I don't like weaponizing their audience, and I just think it's a horrible precedent, and everything about it pisses me off. And it's, and and I hope that I hope they get burned bad because I do too. Because so, fuck them. Just... <laughs> like all... So I, I watched Jim Sterling's video on this too that James mentioned earlier, and I don't really like usually watch Jim Sterling, but this is sort of like a type of thing that is like tailor made for his sort of content. But like he made the point, and I agree with it that like the principle behind making a stand against Apple's like cutting of these sort of uh, this sort of like revenue. Mm-hmm. Like that's, there's some merit there, like yeah. at a baseline, but everything, how Epic is going about this is not good. No, <laughs> I, uh, I, I also, and also the fact that they had like this trailer and, and campaign ready to go, like 80 right away, legal document is like is, super suspicious. It's like very, they knew that this was going to happen and basically like are like using it as marketing is it's, uh, it's scary. It's scary that a lot of just big corporations are realizing in this day and age that they can a hundred percent weaponize an audience. And like, this is a much lesser degree, um, much, much lesser, but like last, was it last summer when they said, um, when Disney and Sony parted ways over Spider-Man and Disney very clearly tried to weaponize like the MCU fans to force. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. If you want, if you want Spider-Man in your movies, you better let Sony know and make your voice heard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was really blatantly obvious. And like, this is just on another level. Oh yeah. 
This is the most blatant and like blatant shitty thing I've ever seen from a company. It's immature. It's embarrassing. And I hope they just. Yeah, I hope they I hope they they get they eat shit for it because Mm. um, because I totally I I lost my train of thought on what I was going to say, but it's just it's just such a bad precedent. Like, this is not something you should be doing. Like, it's. And they've uh, always been like just exploiting like children for like money on microtransactions. I've never thought Epic is a good company. Like I played Fortnite with my friends for a bit because that was just something we did because it was just like nice. But like we tried not to spend any money on it. But it's just like it's I, everywhere. After this, oh, I'm never touching one of your products ever again. Okay, okay. For for disliking Tim Sweeney because for longest time i was a linux user and like tim sweeney's on like record saying that he doesn't want to like publish any of their games on linux because he feels like people that use linux are cowards and that they should come back to windows it's like screw you dude did actually the last um i remember what i was going to say and i think this is one of the things that bothers me most about this whole thing is when they say they're revolutionaries and they're sticking up for the little guy uh there's there's many report or there was a really big report last year about how epic has some of the most horrendous crunch for their developers uh to make fortnite shit like it's total a farce like if if you if you're worried about helping the little guy then don't make your staff work 16 hour days but it always just seems like on some level epic has a good nugget of Insightful, idea like yeah so they have yeah. something there at its core that some people are like drawn to like they see what the what the good is but then there's always just like this laundry list of caveats ignore this don't worry about this for now don't don't factor this in yet if you strip out all those caveats then the idea is at its core okay or good and this is yeah. both referring to its store and its games and its practices and what they're doing now it's just that there's always this list something of things yeah it's messy anyways it's- uh I don't know. That's it's it's not really about RPGs, but it's just such a weird big story that I felt like it's, it's pretty just, much the only story this like this week this, worth it's like, right. really talking about. And then somehow yeah. we managed to make this a two and a half hour podcast anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> th- thank you, Dragon Quest. Thank you, Final Fantasy. I, I was and thank say, you, Nocturne. At least thirty minutes of that had to be me talking about Dragon Quest. Yeah. The well, other thank you guys. And you know, you know what? Instead of instead of buying your V bucks. Save your money for Dante. Or yes. Dragon Quest Eleven S <laughs> coming out on PlayStation yeah. 4, Xbox One, yeah. and PC. Buy it on yeah. Xbox if you don't have an Xbox. Yes. Well, maybe don't do everything I do, but <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for joining us, Kyle and Cullen, and obviously the regulars as well. Just because you're here every day doesn't mean I don't appreciate it. Every other day you're here. So it's been a cool <laughs> large group to have a different sort of feeling for our Tetracast. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that we do also have a video up on our YouTube channel for Windbound. Adam had the preview key for that, and we put about an hour into it uh, last week. So go ahead and take a look at that. We also have the uh, Marvel Avengers preview, and all the, we have a bunch of indie news that we didn't really talk about. Uh, just a bunch of bit news about release dates or some early access releases. They're all on the website. Um, if you go to the website and go to the top bar, you can join our RPG site Discord channel, where we talk about Monster Hunter more than we should. And then you can always uh, follow us on Twitter at RPG site. You can uh, bookmark our website, rpgsite.net. Follow us on YouTube, rpgsite.net. And we will be back with the Tetracrest seemingly every week, as we have done for most of the year. Uh, I guess until then, take care and see you next time. Later, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.